here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. and welcome back to Wrestling Omakase. This is John here, and this week I'm joined by two new guests. Um, first, of all, first of all, I have Alexandra from Wrestling With Words. Um, she wrote the excellent Beginner's Guide to Joshi, which is the main reason why we're here with her today. And she's also a co-host of Ring Revolution. How are you doing, Alexandra? I'm doing very good. Um, and we also have Sean, who runs the Stardom Project Twitter slash blog, and he also um, basically reviews a lot of Stardom. I guess is the best thing to put as your um, your scale. You also do a lot of Fire Pro right now, I guess. Yeah, no, those are pretty much uh, true. It's uh, nice to be on the podcast today and get to talk about uh, Joshi Puroresu, in particular modern Joshi Puroresu. Yeah, so the modern stuff is what we're going to focus on today. Um, I almost feel like you could do a whole another a whole other episode just on the historical stuff, but it'll be cool to actually talk about. We could talk about like the history of um, the modern promotions we're going to talk about, but um, yeah, as far as like old promote like all Japan women's and older stuff, maybe we can do a separate podcast. But that is the topic today, folks. It is Josie Puresu. Um, we did the, the the crash guide to men's puro a couple weeks ago, and now it's women's puro's turn with um, an episode totally focused on Joshi. Um, before we get into that, though, I always like to start with 
um, asking my two guests basically for their background in wrestling and then especially um, their background with the topic. So I guess uh, start with you, Alex. How did you get started as a wrestling fan and then how did you get into Joshi? Uh, it's pretty unremarkable. It was Saturday night and I was flipping through channels. And in the States, WWE has reruns on Saturday on Universal HD. So I just said it, I'll start watching WWE. And that was back in 2010. And I started watching Joshi Wrestling uh, last year, actually. I had watched some like Smash and WNC on YouTube before last year. But I started to seriously watch the current products last year because back when I still went on Reddit, someone had a pace bin of Stardom, JWP, Sendai Girls, and Ice Ribbon. And I heard that, oh, these women, Kairi, Hojo, Io Shirai, and Mayu Iwatani were having great matches in that Stardom promotion. So I decided, oh, I have plenty of free time, why not? And I just binged a lot of matches. Mm. Um... So w- w- so Stardom was the first What you started out with basically Yeah Yeah And then kind of went from there To more promotions Yeah Makes sense um, So Sean how, how did you get started As a wrestling fan And then uh, Joshi as well 1990s Superstars taping I watched on uh, Fox 5 Mr. Perfect Against someone Whose name will be Lost to history I watched Mr. Perfect Hit a perfect flex And for some reason I was just kind of kind of hooked from there and started watching pretty much everything everything I could get my hands on. As far as Joshi in particular, it sort of goes along hand-in-hand hand with me getting into Japanese wrestling in late, like, late 99, early 2000, sort of the throes of the Attitude Era, which had a lot more interesting stories for various values of interesting, but I think most people who were watching during the time, the match quality, not the highest. So I think I started watching clips and you could see, like, little uh, video clips of like Misawa hitting a Tiger Driver 91 or the Burning Hammer and just blew my mind because at the time, still to some extent I am too, but always loved ridiculous moves and so that sort of led me to ordering tapes off the internet which uh, dates me way more than I really <laughs> want to think about, but my first order was, I remember like All Japan Super Power Series 1999 and I saw this thing called Arceon, women's wrestling, and I, on a whim, basically decided to pick that up. I also picked up Big Egg Wrestling Universe in that same order, I think entirely because it was called Big Egg Wrestling Universe, and just the gratuitous English appealed to me. And I remember watching the All Japan show and being fairly impressed, but then I watched Arceon, and watching Arceon when you've had no exposure to really, Jap- not much exposure to Japanese wrestling, and really have only been watching WWE is like... I really can't describe it. And I'm just watching some RCN now, and it just it holds up so well, especially considering I had no idea what was going on back then. And I sort of checked in and out of the scene throughout the years, and I guess the whole reason I started this blog that I don't post on enough is that I heard about the story underlying stardom, and more, more particularly the fact that Yuzuki, Yuzuki Aikawa, who the promotion was basically built around, left the company in 2013 after Ryogoku Cinderella. And then I'm kind of like, okay, so this big thing, company's built around her, she left, what happens now? Like, as a sort of historian in my private life and my scholastic life, I just figured the telling the story of a company like this would be interesting, and that's sort of how I got to where I am today. Hmm. Um, I guess my own, my own personal history with Joshi, for anyone curious, is I, the very first Joshi match I ever saw was I bought this comp 
that was like the 95 Observer Matches of the Year or something. And it had, I believe, Manami, Toyota, and Kyoko Inoue, I want to say. Which was um, a very stellar match, obviously. And then I remember watching a lot of um, The Bloody, if anyone remembers her, and like JD Star. That was, um, I remember watching a lot of her matches on YouTube. But she was like this, like, not that large, like maybe like 5'2 or 5'3, you know, normal sized woman, but she worked like a monster heel, which is always very interesting to me. Like, she just no sell everything. But I was on mark for her, and then she kind of, I think she retired like 2005 or something. But, Sean, do you remember the bloody? I remember the bloody. I've seen only a couple of matches, but I was also just going to make sure that if you didn't mention the bloody in this introduction, I was going to make sure you did because of how much you've talked about the bloody over the years. So I I think know, she I needs she needs to be on this podcast. I love the bloody, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm not as dedicated as a fan as the two of you, which is why I definitely wanted to have you have people on who watch more than I do. Um, I really only catch the Sunday Girl shows and then like the bigger Stardom shows, but uh, and. Tokyo Joshi Pro for some reason, which I should probably stop watching because it's not very good. But we'll get into that, I guess. Um, but so basically, for people listening at home, we're going to go promotion by promotion. We're going to use um, Alex's um, Joshi Puretsu guide. So it's the beginner's guide to 2017 Joshi wrestling. Um, she wrote that on Wrestling with Words. You definitely highly recommended. And we're going to go in that same order if you want to follow along. Um, so that means the first promotion we're going to start with is Ice Ribbon. Um, started in 2006 by Emi Sakura, uh, who left to run Gato Move now. Um, what do you think about Ice Ribbon, Alex, and how would you introduce it to new fans? Um, I would definitely say, and this is a theme that can have in multiple promotions, if you happen to catch an Ice Ribbon show and it's one of those laid-back shows or smaller audience and they play a lot of games don't let that color your judgment of the entire promotion because the women in here can have some of the best matches in the industry of joshi like Tsukasa fujimoto uh Tsukushi, and then Tsukasa when she tag teams with her friend nanari takahashi for the best friends a lot of the roster is very talented especially for how old they are or i should say young because one of, I guess, the known things about Ice Ribbon is how young a lot of their wrestlers are. There are a lot of teens. And despite that, they're really good. A lot of high-speed, I guess kind of, sort of, like AJW, a lot of high-speed, just go, go, go matches can happen to Ice Ribbon. And I enjoy it. It's not always my cup of tea. I tend to like more Sendai Girls, mat-based stuff. But... It's definitely one of the best promotions, and they always have usually consistent high number attendances at Cork and Hall. Yeah, one of one of the one of the my biggest regrets for this upcoming trip is I really wanted a chance to see them live, just so I could say I saw like all the Joshi Big Three live, but um, it, it doesn't look like it's going to happen, unfortunately. There, how often do they run Cork again? Do you know by any chance? Uh, I don't always stay up to date with their shows. Mm. So it's. Um, I, I want to say it's every couple of months. I want to say every two to three. I'm not positive mm, about okay. that, but so that from, makes sense. from looking at the Real Hero Archive, that's sort of about what I think the pacing. Me maybe a little less often. They run Yokohama a lot. Apparently, they've had 
think Yokohama Ribbon shows a couple of months apart, which is what I watched to help prepare for this. Um, the so the, the top title in Ice Ribbon is called the Ice X Infinity. Is that how Ice they, Cross Infinity? I think they just Ice Cross Infinity, and the champion is uh, Risa Sara. What are you, what's your thoughts on Risa Sara? Um, either one of you. Shall can go first. Sure. I mean. I think she's one of the, obviously going to be, the promotion's going to be built around her and a couple other of the young stars in the future. She's one half of the Azure Revolution team, which we'll talk about, I think, in a little more detail coming up. But I think when you think about where Ice Ribbon is now, a lot of people think of Tsukasa Fujimoto. She's been around for a little while now. She's probably the biggest and best known name in the company. And then you think of the best friends team with Arisa Nakajima. That takes place in a lot of companies, including Ice Ribbon. But... In Joshi, the question is always sort of who's coming next, and I think Sera is someone who you can identify as someone who's going to be the next generation. I mean, she's in some ways already there because she's the top champion of the company, but as the years go on, she's someone that I think is going to really cement herself at the top of the card, both in singles and tag bouts, and very much fits the style of Ice Ribbon. I think as Alexandra said, if you're one of the reasons to watch Ice Ribbon generally is they have some of those higher speed, more flying, go-go-go type types of matches, which is, I think, a pretty good distinguishing point in the landscape is when we get into Sendai Girls and get into Oz Academy, you're, we're going to see a lot of harder-hitting style matches, Hiroyo Matsumoto being involved in the title scenes of a lot of these sort of implies that, but Ice Ribbon has very quick wrestlers, very young wrestlers, and pretty adept at flying, and I think Sarah fits very well into that. So there's a lot of high flying. That's, based, that's a, a major theme here. Especially among the top of the card right now, yes. Yeah. The, the one thing that jumped out at me reading uh, Alex's preview was you have two two roster members she mentions here, uh, Tsukasa, Fujimoto, and Risa Sara, both who had like came from an acting background, I guess, that both were actors first and then became wrestlers, similar to Hikaru, similar to Hikaru Shida, also, another one that um, started an acting background. Is there any... Do any either of you have any idea why... They seem to be draw get bringing all these um, ex actors. Um, from what I was reading when I was making the guide, there was some TV show that Tsukasa Fujimoto, Hikaru Shida, and a couple others were doing, and they had to play wrestlers. And Emi Sakura said, "We can train them here." And after that show was done, they tried to make, I believe, an idol group out of all the actresses, and only very few stayed wrestlers after the first year. Two of them being Tsukasa Fujimoto and then Hikaru Shida. Hmm. I wonder what it is about wrestling that, um, you know, it would be cool if, if, if you could, like, read a Japanese interview about it. Because they obviously decided, um, you know, that they were interested in continuing on in wrestling. I mean, if you look at Hikaru Shida, it doesn't even look like she's doing anything else right now. Like, her filmography ends in 2014. So... I think the name of the show was um, Muscle Girl, by the way. That just came up when I was Googling it. So if anyone, if anyone at home is curious, it looks like it ran for 10 episodes in 2011. So it's basically like a J-drama about uh, girls, girls as wrestlers. So yeah, so they, were, they were both in it, it looks like. So. It's accurate, and one thing I think this, I could bring this up in multiple other contexts, but when we get to stardom, I mean, Kairi Hojo has an acting background, Akiya Sokawa also has an acting background, and I think you can definitely see 
the women who have experience acting, I think, in their ability to connect with the fans, their facial expressions, things like that. I mean, wrestling is just another form of performance, a little more physical than most of the ones that we know of, but... So having that kind of background, and especially in a sport where you want to make that connection with the audience, you want to get them to cheer for you, you want to sort of make that connection even more in some ways than stage or whatever, because you're, it's right there. Like, people aren't in the background. Like, in wrestling, you're a lot of people right on the ring, and so your ability to convey what you're feeling with your face is very, very important. And I think that's an advantage that Tsukasa Fujimoto and other actresses or people with acting experience have in professional wrestling, and I think it makes for... I think it's a huge advantage if you have that background. Mm. Um, so, so moving on a little bit, um, do you either want to, either of you want to talk about um, Maya Maya Yuhiki? Because I find her interesting in that she's similar to Hana Kimura. She has a heel gimmick in one promotion and a babyface gimmick in another, which is um, it seems to be a little bit of a theme with Joshi wrestlers now. So, does anyone have any thoughts on that? Um, I think it's it's pretty fun. I mean, she seems to have some fun with it, and almost everyone in the heel stable she's in, Seikigun, which is Miyazaki's stable, they all are heel in there, but at their home promotions, they all tend to be faces, and they have completely different outfits. I was introduced to Mai Yukihi through Oz Academy, and her evil side and Rina Yamashita tend to hate each other. They like to throw poop emojis on Twitter at each other. <laughs> and so when I first watched her Ice Ribbon show, or first show on Ice Ribbon, I was like, oh, she doesn't have a whip. She's wearing blue and gold. Oh, she's a baby face. And if you can pull it off, I mean, it's a good sign of the diversity you can do, that you can be a good baby face in one promotion and then heal it up in another. Yeah, it's just very, it's very interesting just to see that, and like, I mean, I've seen a lot with, with Hana, who I guess we can talk about a little bit later, but it's always interesting when you have, when you're able to do both, like, almost simultaneously. It's um, especially helpful, I think, considering how early Maya and Hana respectively are in their careers. It's very impressive that they can do that, and I mean, I think it also makes them more marketable in that you don't get the same Maya performance in... Ice Ribbon that you do in Oz Academy therefore if you're a fan of her it's more of a reason to go see her perform in both I mean I think it's both very smart in terms of developing as a wrestler getting that experience and also in just in terms of marketing too yeah that's a yeah. good point um, okay so let's wrap up Ice Ribbon I guess with um, is there Alex would you make if you're going to recommend to people let's say one full show you can think of and one match would you have any recommendations? Um, I would say for a match, it was late last year, but Tsukasa Fujimoto versus Tsukishi, I feel like is a very quintessential main event ice ribbon style match. A lot of high flying or going up to top rope and leaping fast pace. And the whole ice ribbon show on December 31st of last year, I feel like it's good and it gives you, it's a nice taste of what Ice Ribbon has to offer when they have, I guess, a quote, serious show. Hmm. So that would be like one of their serious bigger shows, not only to like, when they're playing games on the undercard or anything. Yes. So just, yeah, to reiterate, that's Ice Ribbon, December 31st, 2016, 
and specifically she singled out uh, Tsukasa Fujimoto against Tsukuchi. So if anyone's looking to get an ice ribbon, that might be a good place to start. Uh, do you have any recommendations, Sean? I'll recommend something that's a little more off the beaten path. It's a little more comedy, but I had an absolute blast watching it, especially if you're a longtime fan. It's, I think, from the May Yokohama Ribbon Show. It's for the I am trying desperately to remember the name of this title, and I'll actually just go pull it up from this. It's the, oh, yes, the Triangle Ribbon Championship, okay. which is unique in that it's defended in only three-way matches. So it's Minami Toyota defending against uh, two women we just mentioned, Tsukasa Fujimoto and Tsukuyi. But the interesting thing about this match is they spend the like a huge chunk of this match trying to do Japanese ocean cyclone suplexes to Minami Toyota, who just looks at them as if they are the craziest human beings on the planet. It's like, what are you guys doing? Really, really? And it's it's a it's a fun match. It picks up in speed, but I think it's a it shows a good blend of the style that Ice Ribbon is capable of with some of the comedy that they're also capable of. So in that sense, I think it's sort of a pretty good encapsulation of what the product overall is able to do. Um. So, so th- since you brought up Manami uh, Toyota, we might as well talk about her uh, briefly here. Obviously, she's going to be retiring later this year. Uh, one of the all-time legends. What would you? What is? What is her output been, really, uh, as of late? Just mostly wrestling on Ice Ribbon and like some smaller promotions, right? Yeah, and she's really been doing a lot of tag or multi-man matches. Um, have you have you seen any, what what do we think of the end of her career here? Um, I haven't watched many wrestlers' retirement road in the throughout the years. It's not bad. Like she still does, you know, the rolling move that she does. She does all her cyclone suplexes. She seems to be having fun. Like when she's tagging with Oi Kazuki or Sukushi. She seems to be having fun, which is good because her stated reason for retiring is pain in her neck and shoulders. So, I mean, at least it's not too much pain that she can't have any fun in her last couple months in her career. Yeah, I mean, you never want to hear about that. Um, she's, she's also still doing almost every a lot of the stuff that she's known for. She's still doing Japanese Ocean Cyclone Suplex. I mean, I think she's she's basically doing almost everything we saw her do at the, uh, at the Chikara shows when she was in Chikara and... 2011, 2012, and she was pretty robust. She was having good matches in Chikara, too, and I mean, I think it's impressive that she's still holding up, considering that I just found about the pain in her shoulders and neck, but it's going to be a very sad day when she retires. I mean, I think we're starting to get to that point for a lot of the legends that we grew up watching. I mean, Aja Kong has been in the business over 30 years and still going, especially in tag matches, but that's really impressive. 30 years is an incredible career. Yeah. Alright, so any final thoughts on Ice Ribbon? Would you recommend them to a certain type of fan, or would you just say everybody should check them out? If you take wrestling too seriously, you won't get everything out of Ice Ribbon. But if you can have a laugh and then also say, oh man, I really love this match, it was great high quality, you can enjoy Ice Ribbon. See, now that almost makes it sound like a like the, the woman's version of DDT to me. Which, know. obviously, it's not going to be ex- exactly equivalent, but... Yeah, like, I don't say they go as hard in the paint with the comedy aspects, but they have some lighthearted shows. They're not afraid to, like, laugh. Mm. And also, BJW sometimes shows up, and there can be some hardcore matches. <laughs> that That is pretty cool. I did not know that. Um, Sean, do you have any final thoughts on Ice Ribbon? 
And I would essentially agree with that. I think if you enjoy the faster-paced style, watching the uh, top end of the Ice Ribbon card is a good idea for you. I mean, because I think that's really one of the things that helps it stand out as a promotion right now. I think a lot of the companies we're going to talk about, Sendai Girls, Oz Academy, you have a lot more hard-hitting main events, a lot more, I think, what people traditionally think of as Puroresu when you first got into it. And I think the high-speed aspects of Ice Ribbon, for lack of a better term, are one of the things that help it stand out in the landscape. Also, that's Tsukasa Fujimoto's essential home promotion, and I think she's one of the best female wrestlers in Japan right now. So I think those are good reasons to check it out if you're on the fence. Okay, so that was Ice Ribbon, everybody. Uh, moving on now to Stardom, which is probably one of the ones um, I feel like most people listening to this have probably heard of. Uh, they have a very robust online English presence with the Stardom World Service. Um, I mean, it, it is kind of amazing. They're the only Japanese promotion that subtitles their matches. So I also I met the guy who does it when I was in Japan at their show. It is literally one dude doing all of that work, <laughs> which is fairly impressive to me. And they're also slowly starting to get some of the back catalog up too. So I think they put up some stuff from 2012 and 2013, which I'd highly recommend you check out if you're interested in the company. Like 2012 Stardom is one of my favorite years. You have a lot of Unit Warfare, which I know you're a big fan of, and sort of a lot of the younger wrestlers finding themselves. You get a lot of early Kairi Hojo, a lot of early Aki Asukawa, and then a lot of names that if you only watch the current product you've never heard of, who are pretty interesting and pretty good. It's just, it's overall a fun year, so the more of that they put up, I'm looking forward to people getting to see that. Can I ask, is, is the guy who does the subtitling, is he American or is he Japanese? I am trying desperately to remember off the top <laughs> of my head right now. You just said you met him. I did. Really we, we, spoke, we spoke for about 10-15 minutes. He's a really, okay. really nice guy. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I mean, I know he okay. spent he spent a lot of time in Japan for sure. Okay, all right. I was just wondering. Um, so Stardom, um, you know, like okay, like I was saying, they have English streaming service. Um, they obviously we we saw we just seen um, Kari Hojo uh, defect to WWE, which probably also gave made more people aware of it now. Um, Yoshirai's future is very questionable. Um, but, you know, you still have Mayu Iwatani there. You still have a lot of talent. The, the one thing I think of when I think of stardom is just there's so many belts. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was talking yeah. about this in the, um, in the what's it called, the di- the, 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 Puro, the Puro Discord that uh, that Jesse runs the other day. Like, there's just so many belts. It's like, it'd be kind of hard to keep track of it, even as someone who, like, you know, generally reads all the results, even if they don't watch every single show. But um, I just want to go through them really quickly. You have the World of Stardom title, which is the main title. You have the SWA Undisputed World's Woman title, um, which can can you can can sure. you explain the difference between those two? Either okay, yeah, either one of you. Like one of them is from like that's like the, the international one, right? The the SWA belt essentially is meant to be defended in the Stardom World Alliance, which is Stardom in a bunch of promotions, both in Europe and uh, the United States, that have in association with Stardom, hence the name Stardom World Alliance. It is generally, but not always, defended against foreign talent, like Tony Storm's held the belt forever and mostly defended it against foreign talent, although she did, believe, have a pretty good match against Jungle Kiona for it, but for the most part, it sort of seems to be the Gaijin title in a lot of ways. It's just a really weird name, then, for what's essentially the Gaijin title. But yeah, I'm looking Well, you at can't it. call it that. I know. You should, well, you should just call it that. Let's just be like the SWA Gaijin belt. 
Yeah, I'm looking. I am looking at the. I'm looking at your title run right now, and the only the only defense against a Japanese person was uh, Jungle Kiona back in March. So that is interesting. Um, is, is that do, do people care about that title in Japan? Uh, I don't know. And it's, it, it seems. It, I don't know. It always sticks out in my mind when I when I read when I read these the titles. It's like I, I'm not really sure what the point of it is, but. Other than to give Tony Storm a belt to look important, I guess. Um, but yeah, so you have those titles. The, the World of Stardom title is the one they also call the Red Belt. Um, similar to how the All Japan Women's used to refer to titles by the color. And then you have the Wonder of Stardom title, which I guess is like your main secondary title, right? Yeah, I mean, calling it that is one thing. It sort of in some ways kind of functions like the old Intercontinental title did for the most part in that it's not like a mid-card title for the most part. You have a lot of a lot of the people who hold it go on to become very important figures in the company. And it's sort of the belts themselves it sort of mean different things. Like the red belt is really for the champion, the ace. And the 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 white belt has always sort of had this representation of the person who best embodies the spirit of stardom. So whoever holds the wonder of stardom is sort of like the soul of the company, which is in large part, I think, why Yuzuki Aikawa held it for so long in the early days of the company while she was developing. You had Nanai on top as the ace, the experienced wrestler, but the spirit of the company was Aikawa, who held the white, who held the white belt. I'm sorry. Yeah, the white belt being the world wonder star for yes. people trying to follow it at home. Um, and now, right, is this the first time that the the wonder and the world, the red and the white, were both held by the same person? Yeah, at the same time, that's definitely true. This is the first time. And then, you, and then you finally the last single title is the high speed title. Um, talk about the high speed title, Sean. What what is the point of this about? So the high speed title sort of represents. We talked about it a little bit in the ice driven, more the fast paced, high flying style of wrestling. It was originally part of Neo, a now defunct uh, company. Oh yeah, that, that, so that is the same title. Yeah, it's the wow. same. Ti- it's yeah. the same title. I didn't even, I never, I mean, I used to watch Neo a little bit. I never, I never made that connection. Wow. Yeah, because Ray brought it over and lost it to Natsuki Tayo, I believe, on one of the earlier Stardom shows, and that's how the belt sort of got into the Stardom canon, so to speak. Gotcha. Um, so that's more of a, that's more of a straight-up secondary title, though. Yeah, especially and for then, that style of wrestling. Yeah. And then you have the Gosses of Stardom title, which is your tag title, and your Artists of Stardom title, which is your... Uh, six woman title. Um, okay, so that's all the titles in Stardom. There's a lot of them. Yes. Um, there will be a quiz at the end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that that's is there is there anything that stands out to you right now? I guess um, Alex, as far as do you, do you think there's too many titles in Stardom? Yes. Because I've seen a lot of people making this point lately, and it just it feels like as their roster has shrunk too, that they just there's too many titles. Yeah. They've lost Kyrie and Eos in this weird flux of she's injured, but also is she possibly going to WWE? Then Mo Watanabe got injured. So not everyone's healthy and is currently wrestling. So we have all these belts. And as someone coming in, you see the red belt, the white belt, and then you watch a full show and it's like, what are these belts? What's that belt? What's the high speed? What's the SWA? Do we need trios belts? I mean, I li- I I like the idea of a trios title. I mean, I've always loved trios titles, but um, it's it's cool that a Joshi promotion has one. But I just don't know. 
if the current size roster can like can support one. Yeah, I feel like maybe because right now Stardom's in a transition now that Kyrie and Eeyore are gone. We have Mayu and Yokobito and a couple others, and we also have a lot of young women. So hopefully in a year or two, when the young ones get more experience, we can have some really good and crazy trios matches. For right now, I just feel like I don't know if we need all these belts to be active right now. What do you think, Sean? I think it's hard once you've established a belt to take it away. That said, I think the trios belt right now is in particular could be in a good situation. The fact that Momo Watanabe is out until 2018 makes that a little sadder because you have this resurgence of units in the company. You have Team Jungle, who currently hold the belts. You had Queen's Quest, uh, which is sort of the sort of tweener lean heel stable. You have Oedo Tai, obviously, which has uh, no shortage of members it can throw at the belt. And then you have the sort of start of main army with various combinations, because you have Mayu Itani and sort of Hiromi Mimura has become her second in a lot of tag matches. And you have the Yoko Bito, for whom uh, and Konami's been her second in a lot of matches. So you can potentially put together a lot of interesting trios, especially as the roster develops. I mean, I think it's sort of like almost every other trios belt in pro wrestling in that it changes hands fairly quickly. It's not the end-all, be-all, sort of like the Open the Triangle Gate. I mean, how many champions have there been of that in the... Yeah. Uh, let's just say, I think it's a fun thing, and I just I like the fact that all the belts are different colors. I think that's really cool, even if DDT is now doing the same thing with their 10-man uh, mm-hmm. title, although that's more Super Sentai reference, yeah. I guess. But yeah, I think... There are a lot of belts. I think the uh, the SWA championship seems superfluous, but they get to defend. To go, it needs to go away. But I think they they get to defend it in Europe. I mean, that's I one of the advantages right now is that Tony Storm wherever has it. They bring in so much talent from Europe, from the UK, from continental Europe. They bring in a lot of talent from the West Coast. So I think in ways to do that, and it means Tony Storm has always has had this belt, held it forever, and is always a threat because. It, in part because she's a belle, obviously in part because she's a tremendous wrestler as well, but I think that the company will be at a point soon where it can more realistically support these belts. It's also starting to bring in more freelancers, Hiroyo Matsumoto being pretty firmly now on most of the shows, and uh, Kaori Yoniyama being on most shows and no longer just being sort of the babysitter as Kevin from Joshi City calls it in the opening match. She's working a lot more important matches in the company. I think we can be in a situation where all the belts are sort of active, although at the same time, I do think this may be part of why Mayu is holding the world in wonder yeah. at the same time, in addition to putting her over. It's because if you look at it, really, how many developed singles acts are there in the company for her to really face right now? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I, I, you brought up Momo Watanabe. It's, it really is sad that she got injured when she did, because I thought she was really coming along in her new role in Queen's Quest. I was excited to continue watching her development as a wrestler. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Alex? Did you think she was... Uh, what do you think of Momo Watanabe? I think her and Hazuki were definitely going to start being those young ones. He started getting the opportunities, start challenging the top three. And then she... Did she tear a ligament in her knee? I think it was an ACL. Ah, yeah. It was just unfortunate because it does feel like the young members of the roster are about to get that next step up like Hazuki and Jungle Kiona and Mobile got knocked out from injury so hopefully she can bounce back and go right in when she turns sometime next year 
She had a great match with EO in the five star Grand Prix last year. Like one of the better, one of the definitely top five, top ten stardom matches of the year. And she adapted really well to being a heel. Like she went from like mild mannered to heel, heel really quickly. Remember that promo? Yeah, where she said she was gonna kill Mayu. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, was it? Was it? Yeah, it was Mayu. She's like, well, Mayu's pretending she's sick, so she needs to come back and get well soon, so I can kill her. I was like, Jesus Christ, you're you should be in high school, and you're talking about killing people. That was uh, she she took to that pretty quick. Um, yeah. but yeah, I, I I was enjoying her a lot. It's too bad she got hurt. Um, I mean, who else can we talk about? Obviously, Yushirai may or may not ever return. Um, depends, I guess, on whether or not there's an issue with WWE clearing her. Right? Is that the issue? Yeah, I think. When she went to a physical for WWE, they told her about her neck issue, and then she had a press conference with Rossi saying, I'm going on hiatus. And um, it's up in the air, really, if she goes to the States, or she stays in Japan, or if she wrestles again. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, she had such a fantastic... I mean, this is it for her. She, she, she had a fantastic few years there. Um, you know... That that Io Shirai against Mayu Iwatani match from December last year was my. I mean, obviously, I don't see as much Josie as either one of you, but that would have been my p- match of the year for Josie last year. I think it was in like in the top half of my top ten for all of wrestling. I think it finished like fifth. I mean, that's just an outstanding match. I thought. Um, I don't know. What did you guys think of that match? It was. I want to say it was my top Joshi match. If it wasn't that, it was the one from Sendai Girls for the championship. My only gripe with that match, it wasn't even in ring. It was storyline. It was that Mayu lost, and I was a little upset about that. I mean, well, in, hindsight, I. in hindsight, Mayu winning really would have been perfect. <laughs> uh, you know, they didn't know she was going to leave, I guess. One of the things about the, the pairing of them that I really appreciate is they had three title matches that were three very, very different, but all very good matches over the for that belt. And I think that's one of the things that puts EO over the top for me in terms of her run as champion. It's something I'm going to be promised for a while I'm going to write about on the blog, sort of chronicle her, that entire title run and the character change she underwent during the middle of it. Because I think her work is ace of stardom in that run. I would put up against any wrestler anywhere in the world. It's one of the best extended runs I've ever seen anyone put together. And just, she's an incredible wrestler. Has been very, very good since the Triple Tails days before she came to stardom, too. Just has always been that very well-rounded presence. Like, the t- the ace who can throw a big suplex, but also goes up top and has a pretty moonsault. One of the best, most well-rounded female wrestlers in Japan. One of the most well-rounded wrestlers in the world. I mean, when I watch her wrestle, I, I mean, she... She almost embodies Ace like, like almost nobody else does from her in ring standpoint. Anyway, um, just as far as like between her, her she has that presence that very few wrestlers have, and then she obviously is a fantastic wrestler too. So it's a big loss, but um, she if you want to check out years and stuff from the last few years, I remember the 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 match where she won the belt. She won the belt back from um, oh god. Satomura, I believe. Satomura, yeah. Michael, he won the belt back from Mako Satomura. I remember that match being really good as well. So, that's another one that strikes out, stands out to me. Um, okay, so other wrestlers that we can talk about that are actually still there. Um, what do you guys want to talk about? Mayu. Mayu I would Iwatani. love. I would love to talk about Mayu, but you yeah, probably let's know do that. that. Okay, so Mayu Iwatani, um, 
the, the first thing you think when you probably see her is that she's very lanky. Uh, she's one of like the lankier looking Japanese rest, Japanese female wrestlers out there. Um, I, w- I was actually surprised when I looked up her height and I saw that she's only like 5'4". Because just the way she, the way her build is, she looks taller. Yeah. It's very, it's very weird. But, um, so she, she's the current world and wonder stardom of champion, of, of stardom. Um, she's basically the new ace now that Yu's gone. What do you think of Mayu, Alex? Is she, is she going to be able to step up and be ace? I really think she can. Like, she's been in the title matches. She's been in spots with always lost. And I even put in the guide. She feels like the third daughter of stardom, but she finally beat Io, and I feel like, because when Kyrie and Io left, went away, it felt like stardom could either pick themselves up, or they can just let themselves fall apart, and be like, oh no, what do we do? But I really feel like they're picking themselves up. Mayu, I honestly feel, I have a confidence that she can carry this promotion into its next stage, and she can be the ace. And by the way, thank God Iu like was able to come and lose that belt to Mayu. Like, can you imagine Mayu having to be ace without getting that win over Iu finally? Oh, I was worried. I was <laughs> yeah. worried that was going to happen. So thank God she did that. Um, what do you think of Mayu, Sean? Can she be the new ace? I definitely think she can be the new ace. I mean, I think the interesting thing is when you look at Threedom, the three daughters of stardom, you have Io, who is that dominant in-ring presence. And then you had Kari Hojo, who's obviously very good in the ring, but just the character, the real pirate, and all of that personality, the force of who she was, was sort of her... Mayu is sort of a blend of the both that is greater than the sum of its parts. She's one of, I think, the most expressive wrestlers on the planet, just... Looking at her facial expressions when she's wrestling, you feel what she's feeling. That's a great point. She just she also has obviously very fast paced, that sort of high speed style. Throws a beautiful dragon suplex. That running drop kick she does with someone seated against the ropes looks like she kills people with it all the time. And I initially wondered what approach they would take with her as the double champion because I feel like stardom top title reigns go one of two ways. You either have very, very long title runs like Nanai or both of Eos, or you have shorter transitional title runs that are still important. Like Alpha Female wasn't able to successfully defend the belt, but she was co-main event of the Sumo Hall show and was the transition from one ace of the company to another. Whereas, so Mayu went out in her first title defense and kind of stepped all over Yoko Bito, which I was not expecting. Looked very, very dominant, kicked out of basically everything Bito had to throw at her, hit her... Uh, deadlift dragon suplex done and so I now sort of more inclined to believe that they're going to give her a long run with the belt while they build up someone whether it's Kiona whether it's HZK whether it's Momo when she comes back to eventually get the belt from her because she had the big match with Bito then she had just successfully defended the wonder of stardom the white belt against Viper and what was one of the other interesting matches for her I think time will tell who's next I mean that's what the five star grand prix is going to determine which is for anyone who doesn't watch Stardom, the five-star Grand Prix is essentially their G1. 16 competitors divided into red and blue stars blocks. The two-block champions face off at the end. Winner gets a shot at the World of Stardom title. It's a loaded roster this year. They're bringing over... Tony Storm will be in it. Kaylee Ray will be in it. Viper will be in it. Like The top gaijin that they regularly bring over, in addition to sort of the top of the roster, Mayu. Like Almost all of Oedo ties in it, too, which is interesting given Kagetsu's issues with Mayu. 
I think it's a very interesting time to be involved in the company right now, contrary to what some people might think with Kairi off in the WWE and Yoko Bito, and not Yoko Bito, Yoshirai uh, still sort of in limbo, because a lot of changes are happening. You're going to see a lot of people starting to move up the card, and it's going to be an interesting time to follow the company, and we'll see, obviously, who knows what business will do as a result of all this, but I think it's going to be a very unique time for a company that in some cases is probably known for pretty safe, not rocking the boat booking otherwise. The the facial expression thing I have to I have to like highlight because we're talking about Mayu and it's one of those things that's burned into my mind from that December match when Yu Shirai like lifts her up in that deadlift in the deadlift German and starts doing the rolling deadlifts. Like the look on Mayu's face is just like one of those things up that will always be in my head, I think. Like she just she does a great job just conveying like her terror of being grabbed by this, you know, this strong, this super strong woman just being suplexed like that. But yeah, I mean, Mayu, Mayu's got amazing facial expressions, I think. She also um, has a slight, slight streak of being a jerk that comes out sometimes. Like, I feel like every every Joshi has this. Like, when they're, in, yes. when they're the more experienced wrestler, they remember what it was like getting beaten up their rookie year by, like, Aja Kong or Yuzuki Akar or whoever it was. And then they just, like, take it out on whatever poor soul is in the ring with them. And it always... They just like it, to kick the shit out of each other. Yeah. Like, be real. Um, well, so I want to ask, though, about the Yoko Beto match. Because um, I, I haven't got a chance to see this yet. I, I'm... I might watch it tonight as soon as we're done, actually. Um, the How did the crowd react to Mayu in that match? Do you want to take this, or should uh, should I go with it? You can take it. I, I don't subscribe to Stardom World, so okay. I haven't seen it. The crowd was definitely behind Mayu. Like, Mayu has, like... You will always hear the people, and Mayu screamers in the background. Like every wrestler has one. There's my favorite is the one Viper fan that just is totally nuts for her in every single match. Like I'm pretty sure this guy goes to every Stardom show. I mean, you can hear him because you can hear him no matter where they are. Osaka, Tokyo, it doesn't matter. But I think they were behind her. I don't think people really thought Bito could win the belt. I don't think they were. They could be really convinced that uh, that Maya was going to lose in her first defense after just taking it off EO after all of that. Yeah. And I think I think it was a good match. There were, there were some awkward points. I mean, one of the things about Bito is that Bito debuted at a reasonably high level, especially for a rookie or a young wrestler, but she hasn't really changed a lot since her debut. And I think for her to really sort of ascend to be to be the ace, to get to that highest level of stardom, she's going to have to change up some of what she does. She has very, very good kicks. She has, obviously, the B-driver. She has a nice vertical suplex, but she really hasn't evolved that much since coming back, and obviously she only wrestled for, like, a year before she got hurt, and only yeah. only has been back for, like, Less, I don't think... Just, just yeah. one year now. Yeah, just yeah, about June a year 20, now. June 23rd. Yeah, and she was like, she was kind of like Arn Anderson in the early start of tag match. She was like the glue that held a lot of them together because she can go in. She's tall. She can stand with anyone. She can stand with Anaya, and even though Anaya has years of experience on her, it doesn't look like it didn't look like a total physical mismatch. Like, I think she can play a very important part in the company. I think the more she develops, the better she'll be, and the better off she will be for that company because I think she is pretty popular. And I one thing about that match that I love that I'll say is. She won the five star Grand Prix last year. Had a very good match actually against Yoshirai for the uh, for the Red Belt, the World of Stardom. And the referee, in my opinion, I've said this on my blog and my Twitter a million times, basically cost Yoko the match by just 
refusing to let Yoko Vito go in and, like, try to finish off EO, kept checking over EO, so... The same thing sort of happened in this match where the referee's, like, hovering over Ma- hovering over Mayo, and Yoko just, like, shoves it out of the way. It's like, screw this, I'm not having this happen to me again. I, th- I thought that was a nice little callback to last year, and the kind of little moment that really can make a match very, very memorable for me. Um, so, okay, that's, that's basically Mayu, I think. What do we think? And you cover Sean, you already talked a little bit about Yoko, what you think of Yoko Bito. Um, I don't know, she hasn't clicked with me in what I've seen of her so far. It feels like there's something missing with her. I don't know if it's presence or, like, just something about, like, she, she, maybe she's just too smiley or something. But I don't know, she's never really clicked with me. What do you what do you think of Yoko Bito, Alex? Um, like you, I don't know if she's fully clicked with me yet. I like her. I wasn't. I haven't watched much Stardom beyond 2015, so I wasn't too familiar who who she was when she returned. I just saw a lot of people like, "Oh wow, Yoko Bito's back." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, she is. I don't know who she is, but I'll go with it." <laughs> but I feel like. She's probably already the secondary in the company because who else is going to be the secondary right now? And right. I feel like I don't know if right now if she can be on top and have a red title reign, but I feel like she could definitely have a white belt reign and be yeah. good in it. That probably makes sense. I would agree with that. I mean, as someone who watched her back then, the presence thing was like from the beginning, she was very good mechanically at professional wrestling. She threw nice kicks. She could do the move. Like, she was as fluid as anyone on the roster was. But it looked like she was sort of getting used to the idea of being in front of a crowd. And that's something that she's improved on from then. Like, if you watch her first couple of matches, and then you watch the matches she had toward the end of her career before she had suffered the injury, she got better. And even now that she's back, that's something that she's improving on slowly but steadily. And I think it's something that ultimately, once she's able to pull off, will make her more important for the company but I think it's not everyone is born with that presence it's something that a lot of people have to work on it's something that it's in some ways I think the hardest part because it's somewhat easier to teach people to do professional wrestling moves it's a lot harder to teach someone how to connect with people or how to sort of feel like you belong doing these things that really when we think about aren't very natural like professional wrestling is not the most natural thing a human being can do yeah yeah um, so we talked a little bit about Jungle Kiona before, but um, do we have any thoughts on her? I, I, I have a feeling that she's going to end up um, gaining even more stature now, just out of necessity. But um, I, I like her. I think she's, I think she's, um, she had a chance to really develop into something. She's only been wrestling since November 2015, which seems kind of unbelievable to me. But what do you think, Alex? She's one of my favorites in Stardom. I feel like she could be the power wrestler that Io used to be in the promotion. She has the stature. You can look at her and feel like she's definitely the strong one. And I like her personality. At first, I was a little confused with all the Senegalese flags, but I grew to like it. And I grew to love Jungle Kiona. Uh, what do you think, Sean? She did some sort of aid work or abroad in Senegal, which is why she uses the Senegalese flag, which is something that I didn't know. And, and then in, when I found out that, I'm like, wait a minute, so this is the gimmick they give her based on it? So it's something that, in <laughs> theory, could be really, really silly and just not work. But she really makes it work. And like my favorite thing is that technically Kiona, I think, as because tra- whenever I translate her uh, blog posts, 
It, her name basically translates to Jungle Screaming Woman, which is like the most accurate translation of anything in the history of ever. But no, I think she can be sort of that EO, I would even go Nanai Takahashi, what she was for Starve in the early years, that big power fighter with the lariats. They both use the top rope splash. And she's especially, that's especially good in a roster where you have a lot of, like someone like a Mayu Iwatani, the, the faster, higher speed stuff. She's the power fighter for the new generation. I think she's going to be a very big deal for them in the near future. I mean, I think she's long term is someone that I think will win the red belt, would be a good choice to take uh, take the, the white belt off of Mayu if they don't want to push her all the way to the top yet. And she has her own stable now, and I think Hiroyo is acting kind of like as a big sister her, sort of similar styles of wrestling, and a good way to help her continue to develop further, putting her in the ring with uh, Matsumoto and Yonayama, both of whom have years and years of experience they can help impart onto Kiona as she keeps working her way up the stardom ladder. So we'll save Matsumoto for Sendai Girl, since she was just champion there, but um, a big freelancer we can talk about here is Hana Kimura who is, of course, one of the main members of Oda Tai, or Oda... Oedo Tai. Oedo Tai, Oedo Tai. Um, along with Chris Wolf and... Um, what is it? Kagetsu? Kagetsu. Kagetsu, yeah. She's really um, good. So, so Hanakamura, for someone who's only been in wrestling for, like, a year, I think she's very good. Um, I really don't have much to say about her other than the fact that she is... Um, she has an excellent drop kick. She, I feel like her selling is really above a level you'd expect for a rookie, and she has a really, really vicious mean streak that you don't expect for someone who's only been in wrestling for a year. Like she just can start kicking the shit out of people. Runs in which the is family. Kinda, yeah, I, well, there, there you go. I guess. I mean, Kyoko Kimura. Um, but yeah, I mean, like she really just well, she beats the shit out of people just like her mom. It's true. Um, what, what do you think of Hana, Sean? I didn't fully get Hana until I started watching her non-stardom matches. I mean, she plays the role that she plays in Oedo Tai very well, and her post-match promos are actually very, very good, especially as they're since the Advanced Stardom World, obviously, you get them translated. She's pretty good on the microphone. But seeing her work sort of as the baby face in Sendai Girls and elsewhere sort of shows really how well, how much more well-rounded she is, yeah. She is basically everything Stardom could want. In some ways, I'm almost surprised that they put her in Oroitai. Obviously, it's because of her mother's connection, but I could see her one day breaking out from that and becoming a major babyface star for them because she's showing the potential to do so in in other companies. But I think in a lot of ways, putting her in Oroitai is smart because that way she has Kagetsu, who is one of my unsung heroes of Joshi this year and generally. And we're finally really starting to see what she can do in Stardom. I mean, she's had... A lot of good matches. She had a very good match with uh, Hiroyo for the Oz Academy open weight belt earlier this year. And she's a very good wrestler who, in stardom, for the most part, has worked a lot of tags and six-mans as part of a way to tie. And she's now starting to sort of get more of more presence. She'll be in the five-star Grand Prix. She used that the Oedo coaster, the 450, to uh, win the uh, Goddesses of Stardom belts, which she's held a lot. She's one of the best tag players in stardom and has been since she started. But now she's really sort of starting to get into that big role, and Hana being her second in a lot of ways is going to help Hana going forward learning from Kagasu. Just sort of, sort of, I think of it the same way as putting uh, Kiona and Natsuko Toro with uh, the rest of Team Jungle. They're sort of helping 
continue to build their careers. I think Hana can be as good as she wants to be. I mean, it runs in her family. She understands the presence aspects of pro wrestling as well as anyone I've seen. There are very, very few people who sort of have understood that. And I don't know if you, any, if either of you guys have seen uh, Kyoko Kimoto's retirement match. It's because it's Kyoko Hana and Kyoko's husband, who's I think a kickboxer against. The all-time all-star dream, I'm a gigantic asshole team of Aja Kong, Meiko Satomura, and Minoru Suzuki. And Minoru Suzuki is just a gigantic asshole to Hana for this entire match. And it's like the tremendous babyface performance by Hana, which was just so jarring. Because again, I mean, I'd seen mostly up until then just her in Oedo Tai being a jerk. And just the range she has at such an early age is, I think, very, very impressive. Yeah, the present stuff is pretty impressive. And like just her her ring presence but um I, I've seen a lot of her in Russell 1 since I watch Russell 1's Kirkins pretty much every month and she most months not the last one but every other I think every other Kirkin this year she had a match there and yeah so I'm I'm almost more used to her as like you know this pink wearing baby face but the one month where she showed up with Chris Wolf in her randomly just in her stardom gimmick at Russell 1 was like really jarring because it was like I was actually so used to her as like this baby face because um, technically she's a Russell 1 product so um, that's why she wrestles on all the Russell 1 shows she actually started with their school so um, but yeah that's I, I was used to her as like this baby face Russell 1 woman um, what do you think of, her, of Hannah Alex her present stuff she seems to have almost down pat between her baby face gimmick when she's wearing the white and pink and a weight of tie my thing is I have to give her credit, she's only about a year or so in, but I want her to explore more maneuver options. I feel like her current move set is pretty basic because she's, she's still a rookie, but I want her to start exploring more options, different moves, maybe start, you know, brawling, see how she does with that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely a good point. Her, her move set can be very limited. And I think that's an interesting point to talk about in stardom in general, obviously. I think also Tokyo Joshi Pro would be a good place to talk about it because a lot of these are young competitors, and you can even see now, I watch I watch all the rookie matches for stardom because I buy into the same reason you watch all the Young Lions matches in New Japan because one day the people you're watching lose to half crabs in the opening matches or busting out Rainmakers in the main event of uh, into the Tokyo Dome. So getting to watch that journey is satisfying. And you can just see some, like, even Hiromi Mimura, who I really like, in spite of what I'm about to say, she still wrestles like she's the young lioness, in spite of the fact she's been in the five-star, in spite of the fact that she's been, she's had significant experience now. She has this rolling uh, calf crusher that I don't think I've ever seen her submit someone with, and her finisher is essentially La Magistral. And other than that, it's a lot of drop kicks. And it gets to the point where she does a very good job selling, a very good job building sympathy, a very good job taking a beating, but then I almost just feel too bad for her because she can never sort of get that. When it comes time for her to get her revenge, it never feels like she gets it in a satisfying enough way. You compare that to someone like Ruaka, who just debuted very recently and already has sort of an identifiable moveset that's basic, but she's got a Russian leg sweep and a fisherman suplex and some stuff like that. And I think that kind of stuff is very important early on to sort of develop okay who are you in the ring? And I think that's something that has been mixed over the course of stardom's history. Mm. Um, do you have any thoughts on that, Alex? No, I think he's he said it pretty well. Some people, no matter how long they've been in, they still 
have a kind of simple moveset because rookies in Japan, men or women, you have Boston Crab, you have a drop kick, you have you yell, you do another drop kick, and that's about it. More drop yeah. kick. Yeah, More a lot of drop kicks. Um, it's, it's interesting just before I mean we've spoken a lot about Star and we have a lot to get to but I would like to shout out I guess for lack of a better term Natsuko Tora who's young and debuted very recently end of end of last year debuted against uh, Azumi in the legendary battle over melon bread literally Azumi was mad at Natsuko for apparently stealing her melon bread and then challenged her to what would be her debut match so her debut match took place over a purloined piece of melon bond in spite of that inauspicious beginning, I think she's going to be really, really good. I mean, I remember being very impressed seeing her live in person in when I went to the Stardom show in Japan, and she'd had, like, maybe... That was maybe her second or third match. She definitely feels comfortable in the ring. She has a bit of that touch of the power fighter to her, and she's being put in a situation with Team Jungle as her sort of junior member where, where she can succeed in, again, sort of that power style that most of the members of Team Jungle has. I think she's going to be very good in spite of the fact that she's still a rookie, still hasn't been in a year yet as long as she sticks with it. But yeah, that's just one name that when we talk about, okay, where's the future of this company coming from? I mean, we all know, we talk about Jungle Kiona and Momo Watanabe and HZK, who's been very, very good since she came back. And I think Natsuko Tori is one of those names on the tier below that's going to be ready to keep working her way up the ladder as time goes on. So, okay, so we talked enough about Hana, I think. Yeah, yeah well, it, and, it went to interesting... It went into an interesting conversation about young younger wrestlers in general. Let's go. Um, I don't know if there's anybody else really on the stardom roster. Is there anyone else you guys want to talk about? Um, Chris Wolf is there. I don't know if we really need to talk at length about Chris Wolf. She's more she's of like cool. a pr- yeah. She's more of a personality though than I say like amazing wrestler though. Yeah. Her background is she was like an American who came over to Japan for like web design or something, right? Or graphic design and somehow got roped into training to be a wrestler? Is something along the I mean, I think she's also, to my knowledge, the first like, native, at least in Joshi, the first, like, American to train entirely in Japan past the protest and then become basically a full-time member of the main roster. Yeah, because she never trained to wrestle in America. Yes, no. that's, yeah, okay. So that's, because that is pretty rare. Yeah. But, so... I mean, I think she's known for the shtick, known for tail, feeding people her tail, but I think she had a very good match, at, ironically the match where she lost the high-speed title to Shauna on the most recent tour, which they, they had a pretty good match. I think it's Chris Wolf's best performance in stardom, I think it shows that she's got the chops that she can go, that it's not just this so wolf giving, it's not just I love meat, it's, she's a pretty good wrestler who never really, until she won the high-speed, was never really put in a position where she can excel or really given a big shot, so I think the high-speed title is was a big push for her at the start of this year and now time will tell we'll see how she does in the five star but she's one of the main three of the trio of Oedo Tai and I think in that role now she can be very very good as long as she's got the opportunity to show it um, okay so that's I think the, the stardom roster um, any recent recommended matches and shows for people to get started with we talked a little, about, a little bit about the that Iyu Shirai Mayu Iwatani match from last year that that was, you know, obviously fantastic. You really can't go wrong with any match between those two. Um, but do you guys have any other recommendations? Um, 
the one for me is the e eo mayu match where mayu wins the title from this year i can't remember the exact date but that's definitely my go-to because if you've seen gifs of stardom on twitter you'll probably want to see a match like this because this is probably what you think stardom is yeah i mean i would agree i think that show is a great jumping off point especially if you're new because it sort of establishes where the players are shows how Mayu wins the title. It's a masterful performance by both of them. I mean, I think the way I put it is, when you start watching that match, it looks like there is no way on earth Mayu Iwatani can win this match. It looks like Io is going to outclass her again. And then, like, at a certain point in the match, it switches in your mind. You're like, how on earth is Io Shirai going to win this match? She's completely screwed. Mayu's finally going to win the title. And it goes back and forth and back and forth like that in a lot of exciting ways. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna give re- I'm gonna give people a date. By the way, it's June yeah. 21st. Thank you. Yeah, Cork and Hall. Yeah. Cor- keep going, Sean. Yeah, I think the Karakowens in general are a good are a good place to get in. I mean, obviously they do a lot of other spot shows. Then sometimes they'll have title matches on them, but the Karakowens are pretty much where they're known for going all out. The Shinkiba shows also I would say secondarily too, because Shinkiba is sort of their. I hesitate to say home building, but it's kind of their home building. They work in Tokyo a lot. Shinkiba was where where um you turned on Mayu, right? I believe so, yes. Yeah. I mean, but that doesn't mean other shows don't have good stuff. I mean, the show in the uh, Random Osaka Community Center that I saw ended up being Kyoko Kimura's last stardom match and an artist of start an artist of stardom title decision match. So. They're pretty good at spacing out their big matches, which is one of the advantages, now we're coming full circle, to having all of those belts, is because then you can throw up a belt in a main event, and it makes what might otherwise be a uh, seemingly mediocre show, it sort of elevates the standing of the show, and it means that whatever show you're going to, you're getting to see something that's unique, something that's special. Is there anything you got, you, that both of you feel is, um, is lacking from stardom, or a reason why you wouldn't recommend watching it? Since it is like the number one promotion, might as well um, give it some criticism too, maybe. My main criticism would be some some booking decisions, which isn't really on the wrestlers; is more about the office. Um, I guess the main criticism is if, if you really like more grounded matches with a lot of mat work, you may not fall in love with Stardom. Because there's a lot more high speed or at least moving action. It, it in a lot of ways it it's, it feels similar to New Japan to me, where both those promotions, other than you know New Japan, I get there's a couple guys maybe, but like both promotions are not where I would go if I'm looking for like you know um, if I'm a big if I want to watch mat wrestling and like a lot of technical grappling, I would not turn to Stardom or New Japan. Yeah. So. I'd agree with that. The the other thing I would say is that if you are someone who seeks who sneaks who seeks out snowflakes, you're not going to watch entire Stardom shows. Stardom shows are very much built with the rookie matches early on. I love the rookie matches. I know rookie matches are not everyone's cup of tea, so it's Stardom isn't as strong in some ways, top to bottom. Because the other important thing to note about Stardom is that Stardom doesn't really rely on as many freelancers or as many uh, outside wrestlers that have exchanges going back and forth. What they do instead is bring in a lot of foreign talent, some of the names we've mentioned, whereas you can see a lot of wrestlers go back and forth between something like Seedling, you'll see they're in Oz Academy. Like, 
Stardom uses some freelancers, but for the most part, it instead chooses to bring in foreign talent. And it means that sometimes you get cards that are somewhat lopsided, whereas Sendai Girls sometimes looks like an all-star Joshi promotion because they just decide, okay, who do we want? And they bring in a strong list of that. That said, I think Stardom has as high of a ceiling, if not higher, than any other promotion in Japan, especially when in the EO, Mayu, and Kaede days, I think time will tell if that continues to be, but there are a lot of good matches for Mayu to have. The Goddesses of Stardom belts are almost always a highlight of any show they're on. I think ultimately, in the end, it's an interesting time to watch them because things are changing. They're hyping the new era on uh, on Twitter a lot, and you have Konami, who's excellent and is that kind of technical grappler kicker that's in some ways lacking from the company. So I think she'll play an interesting role. We didn't speak about her earlier, just wanted to bring her up really quickly, but... I think Stardom is at its most interesting right now, even though the days of freedom are probably gone forever, just because how does the company react? And Stardom has always survived, no matter what happened, whether it's Aikawa retiring, or whether it's Bido getting hurt, Natsumi Suzuki getting hurt, uh, the Yoshiko Akiyasukawa situation. The company has always managed to come back from things that people in the West thought could potentially kill them, kind of like when you were talking on the men's... Japanese wrestling podcast about all Japan pro wrestling, but stardom has continued to come back and in a lot of ways continue to thrive even when it doesn't look so good. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen here. You're going to see Kyona, HZK continue to rise. You're going to see Matsumoto play a bigger role. Oedo Tai play a bigger role. I think it's a very interesting time if you haven't watched a product yet to see things when they're in upheaval. The, I mean, when people, there were some people that I felt like were dancing on their grave when the EU and Kari news first broke and you know, stardom, if nothing else, can survive, I think. If they can, if they can survive, you know, Nani Takahashi leaving, you think they could survive this. I mean... 100%. Yeah. Um, what do, you, do you have any final thoughts on stardom, Alex? Um, Sean brought up a good point that stardom doesn't really send out talent or bring in talent from other promotions in Japan. They're very much a bit like New Japan by themselves. Whereas other promotions have working relationships and you can see talent exchange between promotions, it's very much you have the stardom roster, you have stardom talent, and then they bring in foreigners. You're not going to really see, say, like Ice Ribbon people or Sendai Girls or Oz Academy show up on a stardom show. Yeah, it makes sense. And just to completely clarify that, like someone like Hiroyu Matsumoto is a classified freelancer, so she can basically work wherever she wants. She's not; she doesn't actually have a home promotion. So they will use a lot. They'll use a decent amount of freelancers. I mean, with her and Yoniyama being the ones, Hanakimura, I think technically is sort of that freelancer too. And those trained by Wrestle One, she appears in a lot of different places. And I think that's the same for uh, Tom Nakano, who showed up on the last oh. show and is being courted by Oedo Tai. Yeah, we can talk about Tom Nakno, I guess, when we talk beginning, if we do, because that was her original promotion. And Konami's technically attached to GPS promotions, but that's a pretty free-willing contract. She can still just show up places. Yeah, Konami's one we didn't talk about, who I feel like I've seen on a lot of stardom shows I've watched in the past year. But she's not a stardom wrestler, but I would still associate her with stardom. Yeah, um, they- what, do you, what, do you guys think of, what do you guys think of Konami before we move on? Um, I'll I'll start. If you're familiar with Asuka and even her work in Japan as Kana, you can definitely tell that Konami was trained by her. She has a lot of the strikes, the submissions. As Sean said, she's more of a submission wrestler you don't normally see in stardom. 
and it's a nice breath of fresh air in stardom see someone take their opponent to the mat put on heel lock or just kick someone to the, into the front row yeah I definitely agree with that. I was lucky enough to see as part of a six-man tag, her and Shayna Baszler sort of go at it in that style, which was really cool because it was completely different from anything else in the show. And Konami, in spite of not technically being a member, per se, of the Stardom roster, is was one of the faces on the sort of poster, one of the people that they're sort of promoting as part of the new era, so I think she's going to play a very important role in the company in the coming, we- coming weeks, months, years. She's also going to be in the five-star Grand Prix, which is going to be a chance for her to get in a lot of good singles matches. I think they'll be very good, like, sort of good styles clashes, which you don't get that much of in stardom outside of Jungle Kiona and Oedo Tai brawling over the building kind of matches. So I think I think she's definitely one to watch. Also had in, has had enjoyable matches outside of stardom as well. So I think generally a name, up-and-coming name to watch in uh, the Joshi landscape. Okay, so that's stardom, everybody. Um, consensus seems to be that you should be watching it, so check out Stardom World. Has translations and such. Translations are the best. Yeah, they yeah. they really are. Like once you see them, it's like why why the hell does everybody do this? I mean, I know why because it's a lot of work. But like, come you're telling me New Japan by now can't afford to hire some 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 kid doing English to translate these promos, you know, or some kid who's there teaching English? I got I'm, I'm really amazed that they they really have never bothered to do that. But anyway. Um, that's stardom. Moving on now to Sendai Girls. Um, as the name implies, they're based out of Sendai. They've been around for, oh uh, god, how, how long now? Probably like 11. more than two, 11 years. Okay, I was, was going to say 10, so it's close. Um, they, they were a spinoff of Michinoku Pro originally, but I feel like I don't ever see that connection brought up anymore. Do, do you, do either one of you ever hear about that? Um, Dash Chisako sometimes shows up on Michinoku Pro Show if they're in Tokyo or up in the Michinoku region, but besides that, you don't hear about the Michinoku connection. Yeah. I'm not sure. Is is Sasuke still co-owner of it? Uh, Oh, I am not sure of who's owner of Because I think think when it debuted, if I remember correctly, it was originally Meiko and the great Sasuke who were in charge of it, but yeah, that 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 sounds right to me too. Because I I remember the, the I remember the picture of her and him like holding the logo, like that's the one I remember when they first announced it. Not um, not to sidetrack this too much, but the great Sasuke of relevance to Joshi is going to be fighting Nanai Takahashi in a tables, ladders, and chairs match on a on a coming <laughs> seedling show. Which I do, I do, that sounds is, kind of crazy. That is kind of I mean not not her first intergender match though. No, definitely not. That, she had that insane match at Masao Tanaka. Um, I remember I watched that one. All right, but we're talking yes. about Sendai Girls, though. Yes, yes. So, um, obviously founded by Meiko Satomura, who's been around since 1995. Um, she basically felt compelled to do something after Gaia Japan closed in 2005. Um, you know, they, they have a lot of a lot of very talented wrestlers, most of whom were trained by Meiko, and then obviously you have a lot of um, a lot of outsiders that they used to. Um, most recently, that the, the big outsider we can talk about is uh, Hiryo Batsumoto, because she was briefly the Sendai Girls World Champion before she dropped the belt back to to Chihiro Hashimoto recently. Um, and the, the only other belt they have is the Sendai Girls Tag Team Title, um, which is held by Das Chizako and Cassandra Miyagi. Oh, it's now vacant. 
because oh yeah yeah cassandra okay. decided oh i don't want to be held down in the team i need to be on my own let's vacate the titles cassandra decides she's a heal again basically yeah yeah um when you've been around ten thousand in one year is you kind of make decisions <laughs> on the fly like that um so they won the belts back and then immediately vacated them right that's what happened yep okay because they well we can talk about that in a little bit um but let's let's talk about just the promotion in general we we i think we all kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier but like it's if you're looking for a joshi that's got a lot of striking and especially a joshi that has a lot more mat work than um stardom or ice ribbon i think this is probably where you want to be um like some of their matches can actually be quite heavy with the mat work um it's one of the things I like about it, and you know, this is this is a promotion that I watch probably the closest of the Josie promotions. What do you think of what, what would you give as like an overview of Sendai Girls, Alex? A traditional Joshi, is that a good way to put it? Um, traditional, but I wouldn't. It depends on which era of traditional. In traditional, I'm saying like AJW. I wouldn't say it's like Manami to Yoda Ace era traditional, but more. Aja Kong, and maybe it's a little close to Arsian in that there's a lot of mat stuff and a lot of grappling. Um, gosh. I'm also an MMA fan, so I like sometimes nerd out in Sendai Girls because Chihiro Hashimoto and her shoot wrestling background, she will, you know, she will shoot for takedowns or hook a leg or whatever. It's just a lot of good ground control that I love because I love MMA. And you don't really see that in other places. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the MMA influence is definitely there, especially when you have, like, um, you know, you have Shuri on shows, too. So, she's been around a lot lately. Um, what, what would you give as an overview of Sendai Girl, Sean? I mean, I think that sort of what you noted, it is what people stereotypically think of strong style in a lot of ways, but with that more submission-oriented influence as well. It's... It's sort of that New Japan style, very heavy hitting, lots of strikes, suplexes. Matsumoto in particular is their champion for, well, short like, time sort of makes sense because it goes along with sort of that style of modern Meiko Satomura and a lot of what Chihiro Hashimoto is doing. Hard hitting, the big suplexes, like they go at each other very, very hard. And I think it's it's definitely a company that's fun to watch because they take advantage of the fact that they can bring in a lot of different kind of people and they build their cards accordingly like they have access to just i mean if you look at what alexandra wrote for the uh, best matches of miko satomura over the past like year and a half you just read the names yoshirai shiori aja kong and just there's so many names so many big names in joshi that go through there that they're able to sort of craft these cards that just build and build and build i remember watching a uh I want to say it was either the April... I think it was the April Karakuen, where... Uh, I Hashimoto, where, Hashim, <laughs> where, Hashimoto got the, where Hashimoto got the belt back. Hashimoto yeah. got the belt back from Aja Kong, and I just remember oh, that... No, I remember that, that Satomura versus Hiroyo Matsumoto was in the middle of the shot. Like, third or fourth match in the shot. Yeah. That's how deep... That's how deep what they can put together is. And just their big matches, just a huge big fight feel. I mean, Hashimoto in particular, I think, because of her background, just her mannerisms, carries that big fight feel with her. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing what she can do on top of the company and hopefully not lose the title again to a random experienced wrestler. Um, 
so to talk about my own background with them, I, I was lucky enough to see them live last year for which is what I was th- thought you were talking about, but you were you were actually talking about the 2017. Match. Yeah, this year. Um, I was so the 2016 April Hurricane. Uh, April 8th is the one I went to. So I got to see that Mako Satomura Aja Kong match live, which was incredible. I mean, that that was the best match of the entire of my entire trip. Um, you know, obviously including, you know, I went to Invasion Attack that year. Um, I went to a ton of other Kurikans and stuff. But that was by f- actually not even close, actually, the best match of that trip. And um, just getting to see Satomura and Kong just... You know these two legends carry the way they carry themselves, the way they, um, the way the crowd reacted to them. It was just it was like really, really, really amazing to see live. But um, so obviously Mako Satomura, very important to um, to Sendai Girls and Joshi as a whole. Um, she she was Sendai Girls World Champion for a while. She was also the uh, Wonder of Stardom champion for a while, a few years back. Yep. Now she's kind of taking a little bit more of a of a backseat role, but still, obviously, um, you know, going to be going to be a major player. What do you think of Mako, Alex? Is she still one of the best? She is definitely one of the best in the world currently, in my opinion. Definitely one of the best, if not the best, woman wrestler. Um, she's now in that very important role of being the angry veteran which in this generation there aren't many due to Joshi having that dark period last decade. Mako's one of the quintessential angry veterans who just get in the ring, just beat you down until you submit. And she's she's one of my favorites because her strikes are great. When she gets fired up, she just yells. It helps you get in the match. You're like, yeah, I want to see. Yeah, let's go. Let's go, Mako. And she has... In my opinion, one of the best theme songs currently, men, man or woman, in Japan. Rocker Lifeway is awesome. Yes. What do you think, Sean? I'm so attached to, in some ways, early Scorpio Rising Mako. Because the first time I saw that move, it just lost my mind. But I would agree with everything Alexandra said in that I don't know if anyone does that role better than Mako. I mean, everything she does looks like it cave, like it caves your skull in or caves your chest in, and she has the best Death Valley bomb driver, whatever you want to call it, because we're kind of used to seeing it here, and it basically looks sort of like an attitude adjustment. Whenever Mako does it, 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 it looks like the end of the match. It looks like there is no way in hell the opponent is going to kick out of it. And I think she fits in so well in this roster and is able to now take a step back because she's cultivated a pretty good, a pretty strong environment. I mean, that recent show where uh, Hashimoto won the belt for the third time from Hiroyo Matsumoto, I think they did something like 2,000, 2,100 people in Niigata, which is very, very impressive. That's no small number, and it's also not in Tokyo. So I think the company that she's put together as a whole has shown that it can stand on its own without her as the person on top. I think that's a compliment to both her work in the ring to get people ready, as well as her skills of putting the cards together. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with everything both of you said. I think she's one of the best around, and the fact that she's been willing to take that step back, which you know a lot of a lot of older wrestlers that are also like basically running the place don't have that ability to take that step back until it's way too late. Whereas 
you know, she could still go in the ring and she decided to take that step back. So, deserves extra credit for that. Um, another veteran on the roster is uh, Das Chizako. She's been around since 2006. Um, originally, she was mostly in a tag team with her sister, Sendai Sachiko. Sendai retired in early 2016, so it's kind of left Dash. Um, she first was in a team with Kaioru, which was interesting, I guess, because they both like to use weapons, I guess was the point of that team. But um, then she, trans- she transitioned to the team with Cassandra Miyagi, which I, I actually really like that team as far as, like, a team that... Um, you wouldn't expect to work well together, but they sort of, they just do somehow. And they, 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 they click really well as like the odd couple, basically. But um, that seems to now be over. So is it time for Das to get a singles run, or is she going to try to find another team? What do you what do you think, Alex? I don't know if Dash right now is going to get a singles run. Maybe later on she might get a thanks for your service to the promotion, here's the titles run. But I feel like she's right now in the company the best as a tag person because I believe most, except for maybe one or two matches for the tag titles, has included her. So she's definitely the go-to tag team veteran. I really loved the team of Dash and Kaoru. They really melded together. They seem to be at least, you know, good friends outside the ring and they really melded. Those two against Ryo Mizunami and Kyoko Kimura last year in a hardcore match was one of my favorite matches in Joshi last year. And yeah. yeah. And I love her metal aesthetic. She loves metal. She loves horror movies. You can see it in her shirts where it's like a zombie bunny representing her. She's she's definitely close to my favorite, second favorite veteran in the company. I just love that. She seems really cool. What do you think, Sean? I mean, I remember seeing her at that King of Trios we went I, to, I to do together, too. and she, she really was, she was awesome. Yeah, she that. really impressed me. Like, and this was I wasn't in 2012 as up on Joshi as I am now, and I knew Mako Satomura. I didn't know either of the Jumonji sisters at that time, but Dash really impressed me that weekend. I would like to see her get a singles run just because I'm always curious when someone who's built up a reputation as being such a great tag wrestler gets the chance to go singles. But at the same time, in this day and age, there's not really a lot of big like tag team specialist wrestlers and companies that actually care about tag team wrestling. I mean, New Japan has a bunch of people who have been in tag teams forever, but New Japan doesn't seem to actually care about either of its top tag belts. So I think someone like Dash is kind of a rarity because Sendai Girls has put on a lot of very good matches for those tag titles, and they seem to care about the division. This recent whole Cassandra deciding to uh, just give up the belt thing, sort of being a speed bump in that. But I think overall, Sendai Girls' tag scene, very, very strong. A lot of good matches, a lot of interesting combinations of people that go together. I also like the Dash and Kaworu combination. I like both of them. So I think it'll be interesting to see where she goes from here, but at the same time, I don't think we should sell short the fact that she's a tag team specialist in a day and age where a lot of people either look don't really care about such things, but it seems like she takes pride in the performances that she puts out as a tag wrestler and is one of the best in Joshi at that style of wrestling, which is, I mean, I enjoy, I love tag wrestling, so all power to her in that regard. Um, so that changes well into Cassandra Miyagi. Um, Cassandra Miyagi... As we just hinted at, ten over ten thousand years old. Basically, the story is that she was a normal young girl who got possessed by a demon. Right? That's how it works. 
Yeah. There's like a YouTube. There's a YouTube video. I think I've seen it. Yeah. Can you link me that YouTube video later? I want to see this. Okay. There's a YouTube video of her getting possessed, um, like telling the story. I don't know if I can. I have to find it again, but uh, do you know what I'm talking about, Alex? Have you seen this? Yeah, I saw it because I watched a video with Full Nakano, and she was on a talk show, and she brought up, you know, who her favorite heel in wrestling is right now, and she said Cassandra. I remember it was a press conference in the Sendai Girls Dojo, and Cassandra came out with the eye makeup and a candlestick and a scroll saying her name was now Cassandra Miyagi. And in the background, you can even see Mako trying not to laugh as she was doing her <laughs> shtick. But yeah, um, once upon a time, Michiko Miyagi was a rookie in Sendai Girls, and then something happened, and Cassandra Miyagi took over. <laughs> but, um,. But yeah, I mean, she she has amazing presence. She's another one of these people that, like, you know, when she starts doing that head banging, or especially when she starts doing like that, I'm my, I'm not in control of my body thing, where she's like goes back. She just did this on, on the last show I watched, the the Nigata show, where she's like ping ponging from like one guardrail to the other, like back and forth, yeah. just like like that. She's just so good at that kind of thing. Like her entrance is one of the most unique in wrestling. And um, I, I think she, you know, I, I love her a lot. She's one of my favorites, and she's unlike anything else in wrestling, really, male or female. And I'm, gl- I'm glad she's around, basically. Like, she makes Sendai Girls and Joshi more interesting. Um, I wouldn't mind. I mean, the, I'm a little sad that she's no longer tag team champion already, but if at least, like, a major singles run for her, I wouldn't, I wouldn't complain because she, she deserves the spotlight, I think. Uh, what do you what do you think of Cassandra, Alex? She's, in my opinion, one of the best characters in wrestling in Japan, male or female. She's just one of the best. She's so committed. She even blanks out her face on social media if she doesn't have her makeup on. And like how you, I don't know how it's possible to not love or just pay attention to Cassandra when she makes entrance. She walks in. She's just going all over the place, not in full control of herself. She she headbangs. She spits the water. She, oh, she headbangs better than anyone else in wrestling. Like I've seen other male or female. I've seen people try to headbang. She's the best headbanger, like oh, yeah. by a mile. I have to say that. <laughs> and sometimes she tries to get her opponent or teammate to headbang with her. I remember, I can't remember what match, but her and Dash were on the outside, and they both just started headbanging. <laughs> and it's just one of the best things in wrestling. Yeah. But um, I, I, what do you think of her, Sean? Like, you guys, I love that she exists, and I think she actually stands out even more because she's in Sendai Girls, which we've talked about is you have a lot more hard-hitting, straight wrestling, not so much with the gimmickry, and then you have Cassandra, so it just makes her stand out even more than she would otherwise in a company where there's a little more nonsense or a little more shenanigans going around. Yeah. I think that her character does a lot of work. I don't think she's necessarily the pure wrestler that a Mako or some of the names that we've talked about are, but she's solid in the ring, getting better, and combined with her character, I think, will be a major player for them and could definitely see her winning their top title at some point and having a good run with it because the kind of presence that she has, I mean, we, talk, we keep coming back to presence over and over again in this podcast in sort of various mm-hmm. different different contexts, but it's very hard to teach that. She just has it. She's 
in some ways it's almost like the female Undertaker, how dedicated she is to this character and portraying it. Like when Mark Calloway first debuted, you just that was it. He was in in it one hundred percent from the beginning. It sort of feels the same every time I watch her wrestle. It's almost a little hard to remember that there's a person under there. She's just that character when she walks out through the curtain. Yeah, it's a great way to put it. Um, so that's that's her. And then the, another big one we should talk about, obviously, is uh, Chihiro Hashimoto. She debuted October 2015, um, the Tokyo Sports 2016 Rookie of the Year. So what do we what do we think of Chihiro? I think she's you know she's the current Sunday Goals World Champion. It the the be, the best thing I can say about her is it has never felt like they went to her too fast to me, which is. A, a huge compliment given how short she's been in wrestling but um, I, I think she works as champion I totally get why you would make her the champion she has a very old school throwback feel that I think really works as champion I'm not sure she has the charisma of a champion per se but she's so like her she's such a legitimate wrestler and she has um you know, she ha- she's her matches are usually pretty good, so I get why you would put her in the in the role of like this the young long term ace, and obviously the, the legitimate sports background uh, helps a lot. The what do you think, th- Alex? Or oh, Sean? Go ahead. I'm sorry. The one thing I would say about the charisma point is that the women in the crowd love her, like really oh, yeah. love her. Like I can tell the- a story about that. When I was at Kirk and Hall in 2016, she had an entire cheering section. I think they were all, like, on the same high school wrestling team or something. Because they all had, like, the same outfit on. And they they were doing nothing but cheering for her. I mean, and they cheered for Mako, too. But, like, they really were going nuts for her. So, yeah. Anyway. No, and I think, I think she's very over in that she doesn't look like a rookie. Like, I remember watching... I remember watching the match she had with Aja. And I didn't actually know she was a rookie at the time. Like, the first Aja match. And I'm like, wow, this is pretty good. And I look back and like, wait, she's only been around this long? It doesn't look like she's a rookie. Like, I would have been convinced she's been around for at least like three to five years. The style just, she carries herself. I mean, you sort of talk about Hideki Suzuki, like on the uh, on the men's podcast, and just sort of the way he's a kind of like this grappler, this throwback. I get the same feeling from her. She goes out there to the ring to do a job, and she never feels outmatched, even when she's getting beaten on. Even when, whether it's Aja or Hiroi or on offense and just picking her up and beating on her. It just never feels like she's out of the match because she's got so much talent and the ability to throw, like, her German suplex is just so strong. It looks like she picks up when he plants you with it. It looks like, okay, that's a credible finisher. It's not this move that we've been seeing get, like, two and a half counts for years in America. It's like, when she gets this German suplex on you, that's it. And I love that Mako is pushing her this hard. I would, dis- I don't necessarily think she should have won the belt three times. I'd have liked to see her have one long reign and maybe be- beat the people she's beaten along the way. But all the props in the world to Mako for finding someone that has that legitimate background and the credibility to push and push hard because you don't see that very much. Like you don't see that in Japanese men's wrestling. You don't see it in Japanese women's wrestling that much. So it really stands out and makes her. Eve look even better than she would otherwise, and she's, I like she, in the last match I saw her bust against, when she won the belt back from Hero, she busted out like a somersault senton, so it was kind of updating a little bit some of the, the general grappling with you, becoming more well-rounded. I think she's excellent. I think she can be an ace for Sendai Girls for years to come, be one of the best wrestlers in Japan, period, if she keeps developing at the rate she's developing at. 
What do you What do you think, Alex? Yeah, I'm gonna keep on pouring on praise for her. Like, Jiro Hashimoto is unique among the aces and Joshi and a lot of Joshi wrestlers because she has that shoot background. And to help bring context to why her shoot background is so important, I also enjoy shoot wrestling, Gre- Greco-Roman and freestyle. And in the women's international sport, Japan's team is the powerhouse of women's freestyle wrestling. If you look, we're just going to look at Olympic medals. Japan has run the gambit, especially with Chiharu Icho, her sister Kaori Icho, and Saori Yoshida. Those three women helped just supplant that Japan is the team to beat at the Olympics. You can look at the listing of the Olympic gold medals for women's freestyle wrestling, and it's almost all Japan. Uh, why, do, you, do you know why that is? Um, I watched one small documentary about it, but in the 70s is when Japan decided, decided to make a women's national wrestling team. And so they took a bunch of judoka and told them, we're going to teach you how to wrestle. And so I think that that beginning of just pure toughness and worth ethic, work ethic of your judoka and now your wrestler and them becoming such a powerhouse I think definitely helped them just keep having the high standard and the training regimen and keeping interest high and with the 2020 Tokyo Olympics coming up Chihiro Hashimoto is probably going to get again an increased role because she has a connection to the national wrestling team and at the Tokyo sports meetings for their yearly awards, they always give special awards to the women's team because they're so good. And Chihiro is usually seen talking to them. If that's a good photo op, say, here's our champion next to the world champions in freestyle wrestling. And that's yeah. probably why women's teams in high school and stuff are probably going to love Chihiro Hashimoto because she's like them. She was a shoot wrestler and she became a pro wrestler and now she's champion and she's traveling around the country doing all these great things. And I think Chihiro Hashimoto is going to be like that great pure baby face that can help bring help bring more like female fans to Joshi because I don't know if everyone notices, but there are not, compared to the men's side, there are not a lot of women in the crowds for most Joshi shows. It's very male dominated, especially the, the idol or visual based promotions is very heavily men in the audience and Sendai Girl stands out because you can hear women you can even see them and that's another reason why I like Sendai and Chihiro Hashimoto because like for lack of a better term the audience isn't just a sausage fest there are actual women there so like if I were to go to the show I'd be a little more comfortable going there because it's not just a bunch of men mm, yeah right. I, I mean, mean the, I think that's especially true the farther you go outside of Tokyo. I mean, I think that from watching a lot of stardom shows, I think the majority, I think there are definitely more women in the to- at the Tokyo shows than there are when you go further afield from that. But I think uh, the point Alexandra brought up is def- definitely true. I mean, especially if you compare it to watching something like Dragon or even just New Japan. I remember being at the Tokyo Dome and that crowd was probably at least 35-40% women, if not more. I mean, all the, all the male wrestling shows I went to had a ton of women at them. It's very, it's very surprising to that a lot of the Joshi Rosens don't. I mean, but I especially think, when you go, just go back and think about not to get into the history, but when you think about uh, the Crush Gals against uh, the Atrocious Care. Alliance, and the Beauty, yeah. yeah, 
just well, someone explained it to me as like um, like someone who lives in Japan as like in Japan there's so few options to see you know like just shirtless dudes even <laughs> that there's you know a lot of women um, you know not just to say that's the only reason why why they're there but like you know um, as far as like why the Joshi promotions might not be as popular for for that reason like there's a lot of options to see you know women in very little clothing but not a lot of other options to see men in very little clothing so you know as far as like why so many women go to uh, men's wrestling whereas not a lot of men go to Joshi but like you said the the stardom crowds are still majority women it's just the, the audience overall is smaller but um, I mean, one other thing about yeah, Hashim- I, mean, but, Sorry. I was going to say like if, if they can if they can draw more from like um, you know these these women who are wrestling, like an amateur wrestling, like that wrestling team I saw at the Hurricane show. You know, then maybe you can also open up like a whole new recruiting class too. Like, is that what you do? You, do you see that kind of out? Is like the future of recruiting maybe from like all these maybe all these amateur wrestlers? Yeah, I think that could be a possibility because unfortunately, not all of the younger amateur wrestlers can make it to the top national team, and even um, Pure J's current. Uh, trainee she has some shoot wrestling and she was I think an alternative for the Olympic judo team so I definitely think as Joshi gets more popular and more women from say judo or wrestling start to become pro wrestlers we might see more high school wrestlers or high school judo judoka decide maybe I can go into pro wrestling yeah that's I mean judoka is a good point too because there's a lot of female I feel like a lot of uh, women who are into judo, so you could also recruit from that. Um, so, yeah, I, but yeah, that's did, Sean. You have more thoughts on? Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. And another, just another thing to know about Hashimoto is that she actually wanted to be a, has wanted to be a professional wrestler for a long time. Like even when she was in junior high, but I think they encouraged her to sort of keep going on the path she was going on, and. I think that that attendance number in Niigata, I mean, 2,000 people is a lot of people to see a wrestling show. There aren't that many wrestling shows. If you look at all of the wrestling shows that happen in Japan in a given year that hit 2K. So I think that's a good sign especially, for the... Especially outside of Tokyo. Yeah, especially in Niigata, yeah. which is like kind of, from what I've been told, kind of like a resort area. It's nice and snowy, a lot of skiing, things like that. But I think that if Hashimoto is successful, I mean, I think that definitely opens up. I remember seeing Mako, Mako was sort of ad- tweeting out, it's like, advertising for tryouts for uh, for training and so if Hashimoto is having that kind of effect on young women especially the longer she goes she could be that kind of figure one day that potentially like a Minami Toyota or an Akira Hokuto that a lot of modern wrestlers sort of credit as being their gateway into okay I want to do this because I saw her do it and she's awesome so in that sense that's only good for everyone involved if Hashimoto can be that kind of figure and especially someone that young female amateur wrestlers in Japan can see now has done it and is a model to follow if they want to go on that path. Right, and someone they can watch without being like, you know, just feeling like she's just there to be drooled at by men. Yeah. I'm sure it must help. Um, okay, so the, the last two born we can really talk about before we move on is uh, Mika Shirahime, who I wanted to point out just because I feel like she's she's definitely attracting a lot more notice and for me at least in early 2017 ever since she switched to that white outfit I feel like she's actually been um you know she's 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 really got the whole spunky um Joshi undercard babyface thing going 
where she's she throws those kicks and stuff and she she obviously her selling is great I think and I don't know if there's anything there that's ever going to develop into something more but I think she has real potential what do you think Alex yeah I think Mika Shigirame has great potential to be more of a striker with her kicks a bit how like Mako likes to use kicks as well I think I feel like the reason why she doesn't get as much talked about as say Chihiro is because she had a more traditional rookie stage. She kept losing. She only this year starting to get singles wins. But even though she had a normal rookie progression, she still I feel like she's definitely projected to be something more because she had a tag match within her first year with Manami Toyota opposite of Chihiro Hashimoto and Shinobu Kandori. So obviously make of a like Mika was also going to be a great talent if she put her on a team with Manami Toyota. Right, that makes sense. Um, what do you think of her, Sean? I've only seen a couple of matches of her, but what I've seen I'm pretty impressed with. I saw her against both uh, Konami and uh, Hanakimura, and I thought both matches were very good. I think she, she definitely, like you said, she has very good kicks, very, just good, I don't know if presence is the right word, but she just... When I think what Alexandra wrote about her in the uh, in the summary is really accurate. Like once she she's taken enough punishment, this is like when she starts firing up. Her fire up is really it's hard not to cheer for her. Yeah, I think stylistically, I think she's a very good fit for Sendai Girls, and not everyone and very very few people are ever going to be pushed like Chihiro Hashimoto is going to be pushed, and that's fine. That's perfectly good, but. I think that she's got a very good chance to rise up. I mean, she's going to have a chance to work with almost an all-star team of freelancers and people from other companies that uh, Mako brings in to put on these shows. I mean, she was basically the highest, one of the highest-ranked wrestlers in that on the youth team against the Aja Kong, Nanai, Takahashi, uh, Mako Satomura trios team of unfair. Like, that's just, like, the most unfair match I can possibly think of. But Mika went in there and gave it her best in... That match was awesome, I thought. But it was good. I, I, you, you, I think you like watching rookies get beat up more than I do. But I, I... That was so good. I love that match. Um, just especially for... Um, oh, God. Who's, like, Nane was just fucking killing them. No, no, actually, she always does. Yeah, she always does. But, like... Jesus. Anyway. Sorry, continue. No, I mean, I think that's... I think she can be very good. I think that... I think Sendai Girls is a very good place for her and a lot of the other young wrestlers who are starting to make appearances. Like, those... I think the other two who were in that match on her team were are based in uh, Marvelous. That's Women's Pro Wrestling. But I think Sendai Girls is a great place to get experience because you can get put in the ring with such a big variety of people. I mean, we've talked about that it's a lot of harder hitting kicks and some submission stuff but even within that's a big genre there's a lot of different sub styles of that and you get exposed to a lot of stuff working a lot of different people so I think that I think that she's going to be good I don't know if she'll be on Chihiro's level one day but I think she could definitely be someone who plays a major role in this company they also they use a lot of um like for other foreigners they seem to like I don't like bigger women more it seems like like they use Alex Lee who's like five seven or something, and they use uh, God, what the hell's her name? Heidi, Heidi Katrina. Katrina. Yeah, Heidi Katrina, who's like five ten, yeah. and then like you have Big Bang Nicole, who I think is like five eight or five nine. 
So it's just maybe that's just kind of what they they sort of going the old school. Yeah, the old school like Monster Ripper. Um, which I I think it works for Sendai girls. I don't know. I think it's a it's a good it's a good thing to have on your card too. Just these these big foreigners to you know throw your rookies around. What do you think of it, Alex? Yeah, like you said, it's a bit more old school. Have a foreigner come in, bully the native talent, and then hopefully the native talent can rise up and win, get cheered. And it helps bring in diversity. Because it's nice that Sendai Girls and Stardom, they bring in different foreigners, so you don't get a little tired about seeing the same faces in two places. It's different pools of talent. And I had never heard of Heidi Katrina before she came to Sendai Girls, and now she's also doing some things in Wave. I think she had a spot in DDT recently. Yeah, she had a, she, she had a very funny run in DDT um, for like a three-month run. It was really fun. But um, it was like a few, she basically came in and, um, and feuded with Saki Akai. And the, the, the entire point of that feud seemed to be like she was mad at her for also being tall. Like there was really no other. Like she just showed up and she was like, hey, you're tall, but I'm tall. And I'm a model. And you're a model, and we're gonna fight. Like that was really all there was to it. And then they formed a team after their feud was over, which led to like one of the funniest um, like vignettes I've ever seen. With um, oh god, I'm never gonna remember this guy's name. The the foreigner that was um, that was working for Danshuku Dino. He's like his gay friend, basically the way they put it. Um, oh god, what the hell is this guy's name? I don't. I don't know DT no roster well enough. Yeah, I mean he's not. He's not DT roster. Oh, it's Royce Isaacs. That's it. So Royce Isaacs. He's he's, a, he's an American that came over, but they basically introduced as like uh, Dino's gay American friend, and he Royce Isaac was supposed to give her an English lesson, and he just he's he's having her, you know, he's having Saki Akai give all give, talk like all this all this normal English, and then he randomly like puts in like. I am gay, and just the way Saki Akai like slowly repeat it, I am gay. Like it was just she knew something was very wrong, but she was trying to follow her teacher. It was just it was very funny, but yeah, it was a, it was a great little run that uh, Heidi Katrina had that sadly seems to be over because she hasn't been on any shows in like a month or two. So um, that's the Saki Akai and Heidi Katrina story. Sorry to jump in with that, but it's all right. I'm just not. I'm not too high on Saki Kai. Like she's friends with Ozaki, which is cool, but I don't like her. Um, I think she's. I think she's improved a lot this year, from what I've seen of her. And also, well, we'll we can talk about when we get to because jo- uh, I want to get to Joshi Pro in a little bit. So we'll talk about that when we get to that. Um, but yeah, as far as Sendai Girls goes, um, the the only other person maybe we should talk about real quick is because we said we would, is uh, Hiryo Matsumoto, who's a freelancer, but recently was the Sendai Girls World Champion. Um, what do you think of Matsumoto, Alex, the Lady Destroyer? She's currently my Joshi MVP of the year. This 2017 was the year of Hiryo Matsumoto. She recently held four belts. She's unfortunately lost some, but she's a student of Mariko Yoshida, so you know that she can hit hard. And she's just a powerhouse. She's one of the strongest wrestlers in Joshi. She can lift two people. She can lift, I think she's lifted Ajakong on her back. 
like she also has great presence. She walks out with her Godzilla mask. Her theme yeah, that song is a, that is a, such a great entrance. Yeah, her theme song has the Godzilla screech into some weird disco song, <laughs> and she is one of my favorites. Um, I, I like her a lot too. Which, if I had to ask, did you see both her title matches with Chihiro? Uh, I haven't watched the most recent one yet because okay. I'm still a little salty about the whole title situation. Which, uh, just a little anecdote for about Sendai Girls. The singles title, I don't know what's up with it. Chihiro kept dropping it to people and then winning it back. She should she should have had a long first reign, not short three reigns. That's all I'm going to say right now about it. The, the, the disco theme song, I had to look this up. It's actually a CNC Music Factory song. <laughs> Live Happy by CNC Music Factory. I had to look that That is, I'm so glad I looked that up. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, as soon as I read that, I'm like, that makes complete sense for the, when I when I listen. If I like hear the song, play the song back in my head, it it sounds like CNC Music Factory, honestly. But just so if you can think of a CNC Music Factory song with Godzilla over it, that's her theme song, everybody. Um, but yeah, I like her a lot too. I I was I was hoping you'd seen both because I wanted to know your opinion on on which one was better. Because I think I prefer the first one a little bit more, but. I wanted to hear from a Joshi expert. So, um, Sean, what do you what do you think of of uh, Matsumoto? I mean, I think I agree with Alexander. I think she has to be the MVP of the year. She has wrestled almost literally everywhere. I remember I looked up her cage match before this. I think she's wrestled in like ten or eleven promotions, something ridiculous like that. She's also had, Fortune Dream. She's like yeah. Kobashi's favorite female. She's like every oh, yeah. Fortune Dream. She's had good matches almost everywhere she's gone. She plays slightly different roles in a lot of places where she's more of a tag specialist in Stardom in uh, Sendai Girls and Oz Academy. She's had very good singles runs, good tag run in Oz Academy as well. I think my favorite match of hers this year is actually in Oz Academy early in the year. I think it's when she, I think, beat Kyoko Kimura for the uh, Oz Academy Openweight title. And it was, I think, one of, it's one of my favorite Joshi matches of the year because you have your standard sort of hard-hitting match that you'd expect with uh, Kyoko Kimura and uh, Hiroi Matsumoto, but Kimura uses a, uses a lot of arm work in it, too, so it adds a nice little dynamic to the match, a little bit of sort of psychology and technical aspect of it that a lot of some of those matches don't like. She had a very good match with Kagetsu, in which they just beat the hell out of each other, and the matches with uh, Chihiro are sort of the same thing. They just It's very hard-hitting, very strong, big suplexes and throws, but... I think she's the best power fighter. Not that there's a lot of competition, but I think she's definitely the best power fighter in Joshi right now. And I think that's a testament to how often she gets booked and the wide variety of places she gets booked because she can do, she does things right now that a lot of people can't. And she plays a role that a lot of other wrestlers just can't because of her stature. She just looks like she towers over people. I think she's built at like five, six or five, seven, but she, it looks like for all the world, like she's six foot one with the way she just towers over people. Well, she has that, she has that frame, you know, like she, yeah. even though she's not like, she's not super tall, like there's plenty of other Josie wrestlers who are around her height, but like because of just the way she's built, yeah. like she looks like she's had this huge upper body and stuff, so it, like really, and, and those size too, yeah, and I think so it looks f- like she can throw people around. Yeah, and her yeah. frizzy hair I think adds to that, it makes her look like gigantic. That's true too, that's a good, it's a great point. The, the hair just being like, again, not that many, there's not that many Joshi wrestlers with the hair like that, so it helps her stand out. Yeah, I showed my sister a match of Yuri Masumoto's, and she actually did not like her wavy hair. 
I wonder is that her natural. I wonder if that's her natural hair or if it's something she's doing. Interesting either. Way. I don't know because I mean she changed her hair after she won the open weight title. So I was like, oh, new championship, new look. I appreciate it. But now I'm wondering, did she just straighten her hair all those years, or did she get a perm? So, so yeah. So Sendai Girls. The, these are two promotions that I personally watch a lot: Sendai Girls and Stardom. And you know, whereas whereas Sendai Girls, I feel like they're both worth watching for very different reason reasons. And like these are two that I would recommend to almost anybody. And I feel like it, it to get like a full experience, it almost makes a lot of sense to watch both. What do you do? You got do you both? Do you agree with me, or do you disagree with me on this at all? You can no, go I, first, Sean. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I was sort of thinking the same thing as you were talking because I think that Stardom has obviously a largely unique roster. You see some of the freelancers, but basically, the Stardom's top stars are unique to Stardom, and Sendai Girls gets to bring in a bunch of its own freelancers and then just general top talent from around Japan. I think you get a good sense of a good sense of the scene in general, some different styles of match. You get the more ground-oriented, harder-hitting style of match, and then you can get some of the... Stardom still has some of that in terms of the suplexes, but the high-speed kind of matches from Stardom, I think the two of them complement each other very well and give you sort of... If you're going to only watch two promotions, they give you about as complete of a picture of what the scene looks like right now as you're going to get. Yeah, if you're trying to wet your toes into getting into Joshi, Stardom and Sendai Girls are probably your best stopping points because they give you top of the card great matches and they have easy to follow storylines within the promotions. Some other promotions you have storylines where you have to watch another place to help get that extra bit of context. But Sendai Girls and Stardom, you can just watch them and know what the stories are. So, yeah, that's Sendai Girls. Um, I would say very recommended. Do, you, do either one of you have like a jumping off point or a good show that you would recommend? Um, personally, I would say the April 6th show from this year, or if you want to go a little further back, the 10th anniversary show in Kurikan from last year. Yeah, those are both. So both, the, that was the other Kurikan, right, that you're talking about? Yes. Yeah, so those are, those are two really good shows, I think. What, what do you what do you think, Sean? Anything different? I would te- I would tend to agree. I think the Niigata show that just happened also pretty good. Their Krakowin cards generally are pretty loaded, just in terms of who they bring in. So I think any of the Karakwens or the recent Niigata show would be a good jumping off point if you're interested in looking at the company. So I think any of that would be a good place to start. Yeah, I agree. So we've pretty much covered the what I would think most people would think of as the big three in a lot of detail and talking about the roster, wrestler by wrestler. Now the rest of the promotions we cover, we're going to give more general overviews of the promotion um, I, I'm not going to have a lot to say because I don't watch any of, I haven't really seen any of this, but that's why we have our experts on here. Um, let's start with Wave. Um, they've been around since 2007. They're another promotion that has their own um, streaming service called the Wave Network. What, what would you, how would you describe Wave to a total newcomer like me, Alex? Um... Hmm. I don't watch a lot of Wave myself because I don't subscribe to Network, but to describe Wave, uh, they also have a lot of great matches, 
but I will say sometimes the crowd can be a little dead because some members of the audience are more into the the idol or visual aspects of the promotion. Like uh, Sumi, Natsu Sumi Ray, she has her white shirt sexy matches, which uh, to summarize is uh, the sexy wrestlers in white t-shirts and water guns, to give you an idea. So a section of the wave audience is into stuff like that. So sometimes they're a little quiet during the main events. But the main events have great talent, like Ryo Mizunami, Misaki Ohata. Sometimes other wrestlers come in, like Takumi Iroha came in a couple months ago. Yumi Oka, she can still have a good match. They have good talent. The audience sometimes isn't as good as the matches. But if you can find a main event from a wave show, I would say check it out to see if you like it or not. This is Ayako Hamada's promotion too, right? Like she just... I think she just got back from Mexico. I think I see on Cage Match. I think she's been back since like June. But this is consider her promotion when she's yes. in Japan, right? Yeah, Ayako Amada is based out of Wave when she's in Japan. Which, yeah. Yeah. Is she? She is. She is in Japan right now. Yeah, she just got. I, I was looking at Cage Match as you were talking, and she just got back in June, and she's. It looks like all her matches have been in Japan since then. So. Yeah, it looks like all in wave. So, if she could escape Triple A, that'd be great. <laughs> uh, what do you think of Wave, Sean? Do you have any feelings on this promotion? I think that one of the most interesting things about Wave is that they are, to my knowledge, the first Joshi promotion in Japan to have a male trainee, and so now they're starting to have men's Wave bouts on their shows. Oh yeah, Goto. I mean, I think he's got a pretty big spot coming up. I think they're bringing in, like, a bunch of mission... Of, like, I think Taka's coming in, Dick yeah, Togo, uh, and Trenbrook Wells are coming in for, like, their 10th anniversary show. That's a show I, I could go to, in theory, if I really make, like, time out of my day while I'm in Japan that day to go to it, because um, it would just be a little hard because it's kind of far away. Like, it's at, uh... Ota Ward. Uh, yeah, it's, it's at Ota Ward, when later that night I have to be at Ryugoku. Like, if it was in Kurikin, it would be perfect, because Kurikin and Ryugoku are, like, ten minutes apart. But, like, Oda Ward is, like, all the way out. Um, it's quite far. I was looking at, looking at a map from from Ryugoku, so it might be a little bit difficult. But, I don't know. T- sell me on this, Alex. Should I go see Wave? Uh, well, I have the current poster right now, and the men's match with Wave Trini Goto is also Dick Togo, Takamichinoku, and Kendo Kashin, if you really That's- love him. I do love Kendo Kashin. <laughs> I'm trying actually. to remember, what's the main event? Is that uh, is that Yamashita defending the Regina against Yoshiko? Uh, I think that is the main event. Like, the two big faces is Rina Yamashita and Yoshiko. They're fighting for the Regina the Wave title. And then, I don't know the story behind Asuka versus Yumi Oka, but they're wrestling. Oh, Avid Rival is going to face Best Friends as part of their three-match series. Um, Chikusa Nagayo and Gami are having a uh, special rules match. I can't read all the rules. This poster is really small, but um, Dump Matsumoto is going to be there, I assume, and Zap T, aka Tomoko Watanabe. As I brought up earlier, there's going to be a uh, sexy wrestler. I can't read. Oh, that font's hard to read. But they'll also have uh, Mima Shimoda, Kaoru, Manami Toyota. So, if you want to see a Monami Toyota match, you can go to the Wave 10th Anniversary show. Yeah, I, I think she's wrestling something... 
oh god, what promotion is it? It's, it's one I had never heard of before I saw it on there. It's like YMZ or something? Oh, YMZ is Kaori Yoniyama's promotion. Okay. Yo, gosh. Um, I tried so to watch one of those. I had no idea what was happening. Um, but we, so we can just talk about them. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're pretty tiny, right? Like They're not really... Yeah, it's... they run like really small rooms, they're, really. They're, they're running Shinkiba while I'm there. And Toyota's on it, so I was thinking of going because I don't. I want to see Manawa Toyota while I'm there, and I'm not. I don't think I'm doing anything that night that they're running. So, but yeah, I don't. I don't know anything about them. So. Uh, 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 Hikaru Sato shows up there. Him and Makoto mm. have a cosplay tag team. <laughs> yeah, they dress up as maids. That's. That, that I think that's what awesome. I saw when I started yeah. watching it, and I was wondering what on earth is going on. Look, Hikari Sato has to. He has to. He has to express himself in certain. Yeah, because um, Kari Oniyama is friends with oh, that one K Dojo guy with like. Maroka. Yes, him. Yeah, that's. I think the company name is something supposed to be something like Yoneyama Madoka Daze or something like that. So what yeah. you guys are saying is I should definitely go to this. Okay. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, if, if you go and write up a report on it, you will be the preeminent YMZ reporter on the internet. Yeah, uh, buy at least, a DVD. At least in English language. Yeah, buy a DVD. You can, you'll have a great view. It probably won't be super crowded. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I am going to go to that probably because I want to see Toyota. But Wave, Wave is more up in the air. It's just too far. I would go to it if it was in Kurikin for sure, but it's yeah. just so far away. I can understand that at the same time... Yamashita and Yoshiko are going to beat the high holy hell out oh. of each other, as they have done on a couple of occasions already. Yeah, so. and I mean, Jigasa Nagayo and Manami Toyota are going to wrestle on the same card. This is one of the, if not the last opportunity that this is going to uh, happen. Oh, you're you're really making me want to go to this. Now. I mean, I'm just saying, two legends. Are going uh, to this is clearly why you need, as their as their catchphrase says, "This is why you have to catch the wave." So, yeah. but for for people who are uninitiated, what? Would like how would you recommend Wave? Is it is it worth watching? I would catch the top of the card. Personally, I would skip the bottom opening matches. I would catch if Ryo Mizunami, Misaki Ohata, or um, I guess Yumi Oka. If those women are on the top, I would watch those matches. Everything else, I'd say, is skippable. Yeah, and I think one of the hard things about being for Wave is that Oka wrestles, I believe, for Oz Academy, and you have a lot of since there's a lot of overlap. I think Ayako may actually be the most unique wrestler that Wave has, and I'm a big fan of Ayako Hamada going back to Arsian, but it's I think a question of whether or not that's enough to pull you in. They have a year, they have like a yearly like like I think their big catch the wave term is like four yeah. blocks. Like I think that's that's usually worth watching because they usually pull in a pretty eclectic group of people to be in the tournament but I think especially if this as a beginner's intro if you're just trying to get in wave probably isn't a good entry point it's something for you to consider watching once you've gotten some more experience and gotten to know some of the people that make up the wave roster yeah that sounds right to me yeah um so what so that's uh that's wave moving on to Oz Academy um so this this is interesting because originally they were they were a stable they were a unit in JWP and Gaia Japan Led obviously by Mayumi Ozaki, um, they start as a. She's basically, she's the one who has that guy named like Police, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like she's the, most the one. Evil woman in the history of Joshi Podoresu, basically. Yeah. Um, she's like, I I almost think of her then as like the Japanese 
or not the Japanese. They're both Japanese. The the female Minoru Suzuki in a lot of ways, and like she's this brawler, and she has these she has this gang of friends that like run in for her, and like it's a very I feel like it's a very um, apt comparison, but I don't know. Um, but like so this obviously started it started as like a bunch of produced shows until it just became its own promotion, and you have this situation where basically the home army are the heels, right? Isn't that kind of yeah. how it works? Yeah. So, the home army are heels, basically, and the, the, the rest of the the, 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 um, the rest of are just kind of there to fight the heels. Like, how does that work? How does that come off when you're watching it? Um, as it is right now, Ozaki's group, Seikigun, they aren't involved in the main title pictures, singles, or tag. So it's mostly either opening match or maybe somewhere in the middle of the card that you have. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.